Welcome back to another episode of the Video Store Junkies podcast. We are talking about Mad Max yet again. This is our fifth episode on the series somehow because there are only four movies, but we had so much to say about Fury Road that we decided to break it up into two episodes. So if you're just joining us, if you haven't listened to part one, I would advise that you go back. We talk a lot about the background and our interest in this movie. I think we're going to skip all of that this time and kind of jump right into it. And hey, if you haven't listened to any of our episodes, go way back to episode one. We start with the first movie and we cover all the other ones, which we all we adore every single one of them completely. So let's jump in real quick. So for Alan, <laughs> I'm trying to slip that past. I know. <laughs> uh, we, we just, we, hey, we just hey. released the Beyond Thunderdome episode today. And I think every single thing, every single tweet and everything that I've written has been has somehow slipped in the fact that one of us uh, hate it with an undying passion. But <laughs> anyways, speaking of speaking of hating Thunderdome with an undying passion, let's just introduce ourselves real quick, starting with Paul. Uh, this is Paul Cardulo and and Thunderdome is my favorite movie ever. I did not say. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, on, the, on the other hand, though, this one, this one is really good. Fair enough. Renee, how about you? Who are you? And is Thunderdome your favorite movie ever? My name's Renee. You just said my name. Um, I'm good, thanks. And I'm sorry, <laughs> I was having a mouse problem. Um, uh, you get an exterminator. <laughs> no. Oh, man. Um, yes. Uh, Thunderdome was the best movie ever. I love children. And um, <laughs> yeah. Next. <laughs> Uh, thank you, Renee, who, whose favorite subreddit is about children falling down and turning <laughs> themselves. Alan, how about you? Uh, yeah, I'm Alan, and uh, Thunderdome was not my favorite movie. Uh, and neither was this, but we'll save the uh, spoilers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I, think we, I think we got that idea last time, but we're going we're gonna to get into it when we do the, the ratings. It's going to be interesting. Last but not least, Bill, huh. how about you? Uh, I like the part in Thunderdome where children get sucked down into the quicksand, but those, <laughs> those, those moments were few and far. What do you do for a living by the way, Bill? I teach children. I, I believe the children <laughs> are the future. Um, you know, teach them well. And, uh, the father's hell will slowly go by. And, uh, yeah, so I'm a high school science teacher. I'd call myself a professional podcaster, but I don't actually get paid. I mean, if you were getting paid for any of this, then you could probably retire. Because you do, I think, what five or ten podcasts a week. It it uh, it it adds up. It adds up. But there's so many movies, and I have so much to say, and no one's figured out a way to shut me up. So it's true. Well, hey, we're yeah. we're recording you. We're getting you basically free labor out of you. So I appreciate That's cool. that. That's yeah, cool. it is. Uh, <laughs> Yay, and, socialism. <laughs> I think it's actually capitalism, Bill, but um, so. No, uh, no, no, no. <laughs> I, I, I've done the research, and in capitalism, I'd actually get paid for this. Okay. Well, yeah. we'll uh we'll, we'll we'll consider this a tipped job. So, uh we'll we'll put out a tip jar and I'll pay you pay you whatever falls into this that. This is this is my ability and from my ability you're getting. So, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, I am Zachary. I love Thunderdome. If you go back and listen to our last episode, I actually don't love it, but I like it a lot. So, hey, let's jump right in. Like I said, I think last time we talked, we ended on kind of in the middle or early on in act 2. So, let's pick up there. Let's talk about, I think, unless anyone has anything to talk about the the final part of the kind of last chase sequence, I think we can get into the quagmire sequence. Is is the last chase sequence the part where the, the front of the truck catches on fire or am I? Yes. Part of 
Yes. Okay. So that actually one thing I did think that I loved about that was how um, Furiosa uses the cow catcher on the front of the car on the front front of the, the vehicle to throw up dust to put out the fire. I mean, she yeah, uses that's awesome. Person. And I thought that was just I just thought that was like yeah, like it's such a cool idea. I was like, oh wow, that was really cool. Anyway, just thought that was neat. I assume that's what it, I, I assume that they get attacked by like napalm throwing bikers so much that's what it's for because it's there, there aren't many cows out there right no how many cows well, could you they've catch caught them all. they've caught them all ah there you go <laughs> they caught them all well speaking of cows hey, I think hey the, can I just ask is there a oh, single yeah. kangaroo in any of the Mad Max movies nah not that no, I, I think, think they're of. all married actually there was one <laughs> there was? but it was dead on the road. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god Paul <laughs> you're killing me but should I get that because yeah, I, I missed that way too. over my head. I should say it's been a really long week for me guys so I'm a little punchy <laughs> tonight so uh so yeah this is this is me this is me unplugged <laughs> I'm sorry Renee you said that yeah there, there was a dead one right Wait, you're there was a dead one I'm sorry joke? Yeah, I, yeah please do because I had a flashback of a dead kangaroo so yeah you said, there's, are, there, are there any single kangaroos? I said, no, they're all married. Oh, <laughs> there you go. Oh. That's what set him off. Wow. Yeah. That's, it's oh, going to be a long yeah. night. I, I, yeah. I, again, it's, it's been a very <laughs> long week. Yeah. And uh, I haven't been drinking, but I may as well have been because mm. uh, that's about where I'm at right now. So, yeah, speaking <laughs> of wildlife, though, um, the, I think the only wildlife in this film, which is kind of unusual, the only thing... I kind of didn't like about this movie was they didn't give Max a pet sidekick. Like in the second mm. movie, he has a dog. In the third movie, he has a monkey that saves him. No sidekick in this movie. Although we do get a lot of crows. Well, you know, for those of you that have listened to all of our podcasts, remember how I said I was, I was happy when they shot the dog because it sort of made it so he didn't have to keep up with the dog. Uh, God. <laughs> if not, you know, Hey, go back to episode, uh, whatever that was. But in this one, it would have been interesting to see what he did with a pet while he was on the front of that machine with the uh, blood bag hooked up to him. Maybe maybe he had a little leash or something. I don't know what's more amazing, that you would think that or that you would remind people that you think that. Uh, I, I would love to see an alternate version of this where they, they have Max on there like tied up to the blood bank and then they pan over and his dog is tied to the hood and it's like there's a war boy dog that the dog that oh, dog no. is, is, is getting, oh. getting to. Except the one on the front would like have his tongue out and he'd be like, this is great. Uh, yeah, right. He'd <laughs> be like, this is great. I love this. No. Yeah. Uh, I, I love this sequence, though, because it's it's kind of an interesting segue to the third act. But I love the fact that it kind of slows the movie down, like literally it slows mm -hmm. the chase down without really slowing the chase down, because we do get some of my favorite moments in the movie. I think one of my favorite characters who only really has a couple of lines, but the bullet farmer as played mm. by Richard Carter who I believe actually, I think this was his last movie. I believe he passed away four years after this movie was made. But, I mean, talk about an amazing costume. The bullet cowl is probably yeah. my <laughs> single favorite costume in this entire movie. That, this mm -hmm. whole sequence is, is like a little bit of a horror film slapped into the middle of a science fiction post-apocalypse. Yeah. You know, and it's like, and then you think, has George Miller ever done a horror movie? I mean, I guess Witches of Eastwick, maybe, sort of. Yeah. Um, 
but but not really and you think well i bet he'd make a good one and yeah he almost made justice league dark which sounded like it would have been yes yeah i know just amazing <laughs> um maybe it'll still happen i don't know but yeah this was just a creepy little sequence just you're right it does stop the film and usually that's that's a problem with second and third acts where suddenly we've got to have that twist you can't be on the go you can't be chase non-stop although this comes pretty close sometimes you got to do something to give the audience a chance to catch their breath and that often just kills the film dead hello beyond thunderdome but this one <laughs> you know although it's a tonal shift i think it really does work this is the section where they're they're walking through with the the, the stilts the stilt walkers right yeah yeah, what I like about that is at first when you see it, it's just like, wow, this is a creepy, neat little detail. And then later when you get to the, th you know, it, it, it comes back to be, no, this is something more important. So it's, I really like at first, it's like, oh, it's this really kind of creepy, weird little thing. And then you find there's much more significance to it later. Now, the question is, that, yeah, I know normally I go, oh, I don't want to know the backstory. But um, <laughs> in, in this case, since it actually does tie into the main story, is there uh, more of a description of who the people of the stilts are and the coming of the crows? Is there a, a, a canon? Uh, I was going to ask the same thing because all I know is that they're called crow fishers. Oh, hey, that's more than I yeah. know. Yeah, so I did, like I said, read the script that you can get a hold of. And there's not really any more information, although the reason that they are called crow fishers is in the script there's a scene where they are flying kites and the crows are attacking the kites, but the kites basically have uh, like nets attached to them and the crows get caught in the nets and presumably they eat the crows. So that's why they're called, I guess, crow fishers. I didn't even realize that's what they were called though. What do the crows eat? Probably other crows. Okay. Listen, let me just say right now, that doesn't work. You are like one of my students <laughs> who is willing to die on the hill insisting that a chicken yeah. could lay eggs and then eat those eggs yeah. and, and live a full, happy chicken life. And I'm explaining to him that makes absolute, that'd be like spitting into a cup and drinking it and thinking you're never going to die of thirst, which he also insisted was a viable option. Oh, And I said, there's just no talking to you. And we ended the conversation. Oh. Well, that area is kind of swampy, isn't it? Well, yeah, you would think there'd be like frogs or there's stuff in the swamp. They pick things out of the swamp and eat. Well, them. then what's everyone complaining about? That sounds like you could live there. I mean, if it's got a food chain, just put yourself at the top and everything's fine. Well, the the only thing is, like they mention, and you know, when when we get to the the, the women, they mention that that was the green place and it got destroyed. Yeah. And the I always assumed that it was like uh, Fallout or something, but in the script, it almost makes it sound like the ground actually like there was oil or something that came out of the ground and it basically oh. killed everything and that's what the kind of swamp area is actually supposed to be mm. see exxon has been saving us all these years by getting that <laughs> filthy poison out of the ground yeah. and did we ever think to thank them no yeah i, I assume that the, it was green and they just like you know as as humans often do uh we just like over we stripped it away until there was nothing left and because it's it's pretty sad when you think about it. I, it, I, you know, I, I know I'm overthinking these things, like what do the crows eat? But if that's <laughs> if that was green and now it turns into that hellhole, this you know awfulness here, you know, what future do humans have? Every, everything's getting worse. Uh, the war's over, but things are still falling apart. And um, 
you know it's like we're just fighting over the scraps and yeah barter town will pop up but that doesn't last long and they had some green stuff here and now they're eating crows and <laughs> you know is the end of the movie really a happy ending or are they just gonna you know two days later they drank all the water it's like oh that's why we had to ration it uh, no <laughs> oh god the um actually that's one of the things i really like about it is you know in the other ones it's oh there is this great you know place off in the distance we're gonna go right. to and that's where they're gonna go and they're and that and so you're thinking in this one oh and the, the end of the film's gonna be they're gonna be heading off to the green place the green and they place. go through this which is you know like wow it's creepy and neat and when she gets there and they find out you already went through it and that realization that that um furiosa has and then the audience has like oh fuck yeah. now where do we go in the movie because you know you're thinking of it as a road trip you're heading to you've got a destination the green place oh fuck there ain't a green place what do we do now and i love that and i love then you get that turn and we're kind of jumping ahead a bit but yeah. that turn where she says well okay well um hey there's water and food back that way let's go so just I, I, like I, dorothy in the wizard of oz she figured out that her happiness was really home <laughs> all along <laughs> Yeah, and, and that's actually like one of the points that I think I have about this movie because, you know, a lot of people complain or I don't know about a lot of people, but I've heard people complain about this movie and, and you know, complain about the fact that Furiosa is kind of almost more of a character than Max is. And this is kind of what I think makes that work and why that works for me so well, because you have her kind of looking forward to this she's she is looking forward to going back home she thinks that there is a place where she can be safe and we really couldn't have that arc with max because yeah. i think any i mean max is kind of along for the ride i think any anything that they tried to shoehorn in about him having like hope of some sort of utopia or uh you know thinking that there is some place that he can go to to be safe I think would actually not jive with his character. So I think I actually kind of like the fact that a lot of yeah. that kind of emotional weight is put on her, both the expectation of going to a place that they will be safe. And then when she finds out that that place no longer exists. No, I, I agree. And, and, you know, I think we can't use Max can't be the main character anymore because his arc is played out. We can only have so many movies where he starts out as a loner and then comes to care about a ragtag group of people and you know finds the inner hero within it's like dude how many times you got to learn this lesson so now he's he's more like the clint eastwood character in the man with no name films where he's the catalyst for someone else to have their arc and that's fine that's fine by me especially if it's you know got visuals like this one does yeah and, and i think that works really well here uh one thing uh, one other thing i wanted to mention because I was looking back through the script and I think someone mentioned this, I think it was maybe Paul or Alan mentioned last time about uh, Morton Joe calling the bullet farmer and the people eater brothers. I think that that, I think that you were actually right. I think that, that they are actually supposed to be brothers Oh, because okay. oh, cool. yeah, it, in the script, because yeah, in the script it, it, it is like, I think in the movie he just calls them brothers, but in the script there's like, there's, there is some dialogue in this section of the movie between Furiosa and Max, which I'm kind of glad they cut because it's kind of that exposition. Uh, exposition, two characters kind of talking to give you background that you don't really need. But th there, there is a line in there about uh, I think she's talking, she's uh, telling him like you know the, these are her, her uh, the three brothers and the the 
the leader of Gastown and the leader of you know the Bullet Farm. So I don't know. Maybe it's still not supposed to be like their biological brothers, but I thought that was kind of interesting that someone mentioned it, and then the script almost seems to infer that that was actually correct. So. Oh, cool. hmm. Yay. I like that though. I like that though because it's it's got it's got that cool mythic quality. You know the whole story, Zeus, Poseidon, Hades, and every you know the idea of brothers divvying up the spoils and having their own little kingdoms. That's pretty cool, right? And and like the gods, each one has their own specialty. Yeah, of course. right. And that's that means when they come together, it's because some serious shit gone down. So, so were people really were people really upset about Furiosa? I mean, well, she's, she's such so a cool character. The people, the people who complain about this movie, that is like the number one complaint that I've heard. Uh, I don't know if it's like that. That's anecdotal, but it is something that I've heard a lot of people say. And I don't know. I mean, to me, like if if there are people saying that, then they probably haven't seen the other Mad Max movies because I, right. you know, that's not too far off of the Road Warrior, honestly, in my opinion. It's just to a, to a slightly greater extent in this movie, but I was just gonna. I don't think any of the other Road Warrior movies really even had a really strong secondary protagonist to you know, and and so again, you know, again, it would get a little tiresome. I thought she's a great character. Now that being said, I am not really looking forward to the Furiosa movie because it's a prequel, and I don't, mm-hmm. I don't see where we get any kind of good arc out of that because we know how it ends. If the whole movie is going to be waiting for her to lose her arm, I, I I'll pass on that. <laughs> and it's like, is this? I, I I would do that though. I think like I said this last time, but I still think it's yeah. a funny joke. I literally <laughs> would have the entire movie her getting into positions where it looks like she's going to lose her arm, and then somehow she pulls it off at the last minute. But you know, we know it's going to end. It's going to end badly. It's it's. I I don't get that I, I didn't like i knew it was a problem with solo i knew it was a problem it's a problem with this i don't know why the folks who are spending hundreds of millions of dollars don't see the problem here make another furiosa movie please but make it 10 minutes after this one ends I, again my my uh way to fix that is you have like a her a, a secondary character who's like her sidekick or something so you keep expecting the sidekick to die but what happens is at the end the character we think is furiosa dies and the sidekick, who's is like a fuck up or whatever, just like takes your name, and and so it's like, oh, all along that was for you. I mean, that's the only way you could get any sort of surprise out of this movie. Yeah. I know. I didn't say it was a good one. I just said. <laughs> well, no, it's... no. I mean, I don't know that that would go over well. I don't know <laughs> because, and here's the problem. You know, actually, you know, Paul, that's actually a cool idea. And if this were the 1980s, you could do that. The problem is everyone's <laughs> going to know the big plot twist. Before the movie even comes yeah, out, because true. we live in a society where people just can't wait. Two seconds after the last episode of WandaVision, people are posting about it on Facebook because they suck. <laughs> and they, sounds, sounds like you're bitter from experience there, Bill. But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. No, I, that's why I stay off the internet as much as possible. I have not watched that show yet. I'm going to binge it. So no spoilers, please. Oh, dude, you're, you're going to love it when the Silver Surfer shows up. It's unbelievable. <laughs> it's so unexpected. God damn. I nearly fell out of my chair. Oh, oops. There's some cool stuff with the Quagmire. I mean, there's yeah. actually some real, there's a sequence I love in this bit. Well, take it away. Tell us about it. Oh, well, it. I mean, well, it's, it's, it's sort of, it's, it's towards the end of it. I mean, it's when the, okay. uh, 
when when the bullet farmer is is you know racing towards them and they're they're in danger and they, and and Max goes off and then yes. there's like an explosion and Max comes back carrying everything. So like you don't you're expecting to see like him go up battle up against him. You're expecting and no, you see explosion in the distance and he kind of walks in and he's dragging like all all the stuff and drops it down. And he's covered in blood and then they're like, that's not his blood. And I just I just love that whole bit because it's like, is there anyone else who sees a total? Um, reference in that scene to a classic movie a japanese movie yes son of godzilla and uh no. <laughs> yeah. it, it, in the seven samurai there's the scene where you know they've got the bandits are surrounding them there you know there there's only well seven spoiler alert of them <laughs> and and there's like 40 bandits and that's too many the odds are bad and there's the one guy who's the expert swordsman he's like the wolverine type quiet deadly and he he basically just sort of goes off on his own and he's gone for a while and then everyone's they're concerned about what might happen to him. And then all of a sudden he just walks back the next morning. He's got like three or four swords in his hand, just sort of drops them on the ground and says, killed four, goes off, takes a nap. I love huh. that. You know, so again, it was off off screen. You know, he doesn't brag about it. He doesn't like, oh, you should have been there. Oh, they came at me. And I you know no, he just, you know, went out, did his job as as he's supposed to do, comes back, needs a nap. It was an exhausting night. And yeah. I agree because in your own because you had to make in your head what was what was it like? And it's pretty cool in my head. Yeah, so, no, it's it's been it's been so long since I, I went through a Kurosawa phase about 20 years oh. ago. And I haven't. I I need to revisit a lot of his stuff. Yeah, no, that's interesting. That, that I I would assume that was probably an intentional reference because he's he's talked about being influenced by Kurosawa after the first movie. So, but you're right, Paul. That is one of my favorite sh- scenes in the movie. That little that little bit there, not his blood. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I I do I do love I do love the 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 trope of having action sequences half happen off screen. I do really love that. I know that there are like, mm-hmm. it's not a great movie, but I think it's like one of the Mission Impossible movies where they set up like, oh, there's going to be, we're going to do this big heist in this like maximum security facility and it's going to be so hard to get in. And then like, I think they just show them like going in and then the next scene is them just running out and it's just, they, huh. I don't know. <laughs> I kind of love that trope. <laughs> <laughs> Was this the part when he comes back where he throws Nux the wheel in the boot? Or does that happen later? Yeah, nope. That's it. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's it? Oh, yeah. I really loved that moment. That was yeah. sweet. Well, I think this is when, when Nux also really kind of makes the full switch to being part of this group, right? Isn't yeah. it? Because yeah. he's the one who, who who helps pull them out, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. The one yeah, well, well, they think that he's he's like running away, but then they realize that he's trying to get the uh, get the winch out, get the chain out and put it on the tree. I actually do have one other thing. Uh, again, like reading the script, there was actually a sequence that was cut from this uh, right around the time. I think I think it's actually supposed to be the crow people, or maybe it's just other people that live in the swamp. But there is a short action sequence where they are attacked by people on gyrocopters. Uh, they call them, I think, roto raiders. I don't know. It's hmm. kind of interesting. Yeah, it's it's there are like a couple of guys who like drop napalm on them. And they like, uh, I think they like harpoon one and pull them down. But uh, yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting. Obviously, I, I don't think it was even filmed, but it would have been an, almost a, a callback to uh, right. Road Warrior. So did anyone catch there are about 10 frames of actual footage from the very first Bad Max film in this movie? No. I noticed there was a bulging eye sequence, which is kind of a running gag through the 
uh, film series, but I did. I don't know if that was any part of it or not. Yeah, no, I, I, you know, I, I've noticed that before. And this time, you know, rewatching the movies and going back, I was like, I wonder that looks so familiar. And I went back and lo and behold, it is literally the exact same footage from when Toe Cutter is getting right before he gets hit by the semi truck in that's that, amazing it's literally the same footage oh yeah. that's so, great i thought that was kind of funny because it can be taken as he's kind of having just this weird dream and again like in the script there's actually more to that scene because he has this weird dream where he looks down and he has the body of a woman mm. um but then it can also be taken as he's having a flashback even though there are no other references really to the <laughs> other movies you could you could almost say he's having a flashback to that, like the nice. first time he he actually went out over the edge. So, and then we get to the uh, kind of the the a pivotal moment. Uh, we've already kind of mentioned it, but uh, the Vovolini and uh, Furiosa's people. They were great. Does anyone? Yeah. Did, does anyone want to? <laughs> yeah. No. No. Take it away. No, that was it. I thought it was great <laughs> when they pulled up. I thought you know he calls like that's a trap. You know. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, it was, it was great. It was just a group of badass ladies. <laughs> I will say, you know, as much as I don't like the idea of prequels and, you know, Bill, I agree with you. It's, it's very troubling to, to do a prequel and really have any surprises. If it involves like this tribe of women, if it's just a movie about them, I'm actually all in because I think that they were one of my favorite parts of the movie, especially like the, uh, you know, the, the keeper of the seeds, who, who by the way, uh, played by Melissa Jaffer, who uh, incidentally also uh, had a small part in The Cars That Ate Paris, which I think oh. makes her like the third, the third act, Mad Max actor to be in that movie. So, you know, again, I'm, I'm trying to figure out their their place in the world. I, I, I don't know. I always try to figure out if any of this makes sense, partly because I'm, I'm really into uh, you know, the concept, if, if not the reality of surviving in, in harsh times, survivalism and prepping and all that stuff. And I don't do it, but I, but I like to, I, I'm interested in those who do. It's like, how do these women survive? What do they eat? Where do they live? They, they eat crows. They eat yeah. crows and they live in the sand. Um, well, I just assumed, aren't they kind of getting scavenging from these people that they're you know coming across or pillaging i guess i don't know well, you know again i saw this as uh you know if you remember in the last movie i said i i think part of the reason that they went and found all those children was so that they had some other people to shoot at or kill or something <laughs> but, um you know I, I i saw that a little bit in this too you know there's a lot of women there so that like well we need a few more deaths and we're kind of out of main characters to kill so let's you know let's get some Oh, bring some fresh meat in, as it were. From a storytelling point of view, but in terms of, I guess, the world where they live. Um, I mean, they... they well, yeah, I mean, this one, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, you know, you're, you're going right. to this green place and you get there. Obviously, there are, there should be people there. And yeah, so, I mean, I, I like that better than the... Uh, I, I like them better than the children in the, the last one. Oh, yeah, so uh, from what Curiosa <laughs> says, it sounds like she left them about 20 years ago um in the story when she says how many nights i can't remember what what the exact number was but it came to like 19 or 20 years that she had since she had left uh the group so we know at least 20 years ago they were in the the green place um and so there they could have been farming or whatever i just figured they were like bedouin and they were 
they're eating lizards and things like that. Aside from yeah, the two-headed lizards, two-headed yeah. lizards, yeah. yeah. And I assume they had, you know, tents that they that they carried with them and, and used those. Is kind of what I went with because they had that sort of Bedouin look. To them. But yeah. that 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 kind of that that sort of makes sense. I mean, it, the weird thing is that we have this big world here, and yet, in a sense, this is a small journey. How how really well hidden could they be when they're only a truck drive away from the Citadel and all these other places? I mean, that who don't seem to even be aware that they exist. Wasn't it a couple days at least drive, or was it just one? I mean, it's like two days. two days. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. I mean, it's probably also somewhere nobody really wants to go. So you leave the desert, you go through this storm, you get through that swamp, and the only thing on the other side is more desert. Yeah. So hey, there's some tasty crows and crows. Yeah, I guess <laughs> the, the food supply. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess obviously they had been run out of the green place, right? I mean, they're further than the green place because that you know when they said you know yeah well, if you if you saw that you've already been there, so they've sort of been driven out. You know, I guess they could have gone the other way, but there's desert, or this way, and there's desert. Yeah. But it feels like the Citadel should be the one that's under attack all the time. That anyone who's still left alive in Australia has probably heard about this place that has endless amounts of water, um, you know, greenery, actual food, and at least six or seven good-looking women. <laughs> and and but they would also... be hitting this place all the time. When you think about it, though, they have a pretty good position, right? Because it's it's basically a fortress yeah. that's impossible to get into yeah right because you have to go up on the on this giant platform that they winch up a few hundred feet in the air and then they have all the food and water up there so pretty much unimpenetrable you really couldn't siege it well and there's They're... boundless numbers of war boys right and what are the war boys for you you, you think well they for making war what other places are there to scavenge there's nothing they've got the best thing there is in fact they've got all there is there's nothing for them to go to war at but there is something for them to protect mm-hmm. so you know you want, are the war boys just there to to fend off the enemies of the citadel which would make joe a heroic character to the people there that he divvies the water to and everything maybe that's maybe that's the backstory we don't get well i, I mean i think arguably they are after the one resource that they don't have which is healthy people Right. I mean, they're they're trying yeah. to find uh, women to have kids, women yeah. that are healthy, and they're trying to find healthy like men just to use as blood banks. That is a good point. Yes. So yeah. it's almost this biological resource that they're after mm. because every I mean, everyone there is pretty much sick or dying or. So I wonder if this area, this, you know, hellhole Australia here is dotted with little tiny oasises, little little villages little groups of people that are that are managing to survive and everything but periodically you know out of the wasteland comes the war boys to rape and pillage and take out what little they have and that this is you know the the uh the women just haven't yet been uh found although it looks like they could they could pretty much hold their own out there they're, yeah. they're clearly they clearly have been fighting battles because they're just too battle hardened not to have done so yeah i mean i think the the impression i got is there's really just nothing else that they have that would be worth trying to get and and like alan said i mean it's kind of a trek to get there and also i mean remember like there are people who have lived in these conditions for thousands of years 
like mm. in in the real world and survive so it's not it's not impossible i mean you can survive in the desert you can get food you can get water you just have to know how to find it so yeah. presumably these are the people that have survived because they figured out how to live in this in this post-apocalyptic society or lack yeah. of society there's not many of them left yeah is that, so is this supposed to be the sum total of the Vovolini? That's yeah. a handful, I think just so, a yeah. handful of people. I think it's all that were left. Yeah, I think they're implied that there used to be a much bigger group. In fact, doesn't she even say that? Doesn't she? Doesn't Furios ask them, I thought? Who, I think who, one of them says the we're all that's woman. left. Who was hmm? the naked woman? Did I miss? Did she continue to be a part of the story? And I just... Yeah, she put yeah, her clothes yeah. on. Yeah, okay. and all the men forgot who she you, was. You interest. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I didn't recognize yeah, she you. She put no. on and came down and talked to her. She was, I yeah. think she was like one of the first ones that she talked she to. She was, yeah. yeah I, she's I, actually one of the main characters. Yeah, I, I believe that is. I believe she is credited as the Valkyrie played by Megan Gale. Okay. I guess I just had the impression that almost all the main characters were significantly older. Yeah, no, I think she's like, she's the young one who you may also remember her from uh, Project One Runway Australia. So. Oh, of course. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, the first time you watch this, you don't really know what's going to happen because they take off and then we kind of have the the twist where Max is, you know, not not necessarily putting his neck out, but he's basically saving them because he's been traveling around for probably going on 20 years now. And he knows that there's basically no way that they can survive out there because there is nothing out there. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, he even opens the film with his sole instinct is to survive. And it's kind of, you know, how he starts every movie. Um, yeah. But he always ends up putting himself in a position where he's going to sacrifice himself for other people. I don't know. In a way, this is almost a little more selfless, though, than his turn in The Road Warrior. Because in The Road Warrior, he basically, I mean, he's stuck in the the atoll or whatever and he basically there's no way to get out right and he that's when he offers to drive the truck because his car has been destroyed but i mean well, here they, they leave his him dog they uh, they killed his dog exactly he has nothing to yeah. live for whereas here he has supplies he has a bike like they've left him what he needs to at least survive for a little while mm -hmm. but he still decides to go and kind of you know turn them around which, which brings up a problem I kind of have. I mean, I realize why they had to do it because we can't have a totally happy ending. But to me, the ending, and I'm, I'm sh I know I'm shooting ahead here, but the ending makes little sense to me. Why does Max leave? Mm. Oh, no, I, I actually love. Uh, yeah, let's save that because I, I have a okay. lot of thoughts on that. I think it works okay. well for his character. But yeah. Well, I would just like to quickly throw out that, you know, your phones are listening to you because over the past, right after we uh, recorded part one, Amazon suggested to me a large stash of seeds and <laughs> two days later wow. it was a mini circular Good. saw <laughs> wow i thought yeah. you were gonna say like fury road dvds but that's a lot funnier <laughs> it was yeah that's it was way more better. specific yeah why are we not terrified by this yeah. uh I'm so i have for, both now <laughs> i'm surprised the am oh <laughs> of course <laughs> i'm surprised that amazon hasn't recommended me a bunch of like spray uh icing but um <laughs> <laughs> then we get to like i said the kind of the kind of the climax although to call it a climax, i mean it lasts for 20 minutes but we get and we, we've talked we spent a lot of time on the last episode talking about chases and all the action sequences 
But I think that this one does warrant some additional call outs because there are like, it's funny because you spend the first half of the film just on the edge of your seat, white knuckled. And you mm. assume that that is like, you know, you, yeah. you get your breather, but you're assume like, man, that, that was amazing. But what are they going to do now? And then they crank it up to like 11 and somehow they still manage to save all of the best for last. Oh, I, I was just going to, you know, I don't know what my favorite of all the chases in this long chase movie are. It's hard to say what what my favorite is, but definitely in this last 20 minutes, the stakes are high because the yeah. initial chase is, you know, one group trying to get away, the other trying to chase them down. One's definitely got more at stake than the other. But in this one, once uh, Joe realizes what what's going on, it's it's two two groups in a race for survival. Whoever gets there first wins everything, everything, and whoever comes in second loses everything. So you know, things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they've amped up the stakes quite a bit, which you know makes it pretty cool. That's actually a good point. Like very yeah. often you have the stakes are that if the villain succeeds, then something terrible will happen. But if he fails, there won't necessarily be any consequences. He'll just fail. And then, right. you know, he'll have to come yeah. up with another uh, hatch, another plan. Whereas <laughs> in this one, he literally, yeah, he does actually lose to st- stand to lose everything. So that's kind of interesting. Renee, did you have did you have some stuff? I was just going to say that I thought it was very sad that those poor little ladies just got picked off like fish in a barrel. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. boy, that was sad. But yeah, yeah. sad but predictable. It really was because <laughs> it's like they you don't belong here. What's happening? Yeah, yeah. Well, plus we just needed some people to die. So yeah. they might as well have had red just shirts. Like Alan on. said. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I look for the people that are going to get shot. Listen, if, if if you're like to pick them out, you know. if you're introduced three quarters of the way through and you're carrying around a big box of seeds that you keep talking about, <laughs> one day this will bring the world back and everything. It's like, lady, I got news for you. You are not going to see that day, but you will last long enough to pass that box on to someone <laughs> right before your eyes roll up into your head. I, I, can, almost, I can almost see it now. I, I, she was a cool character, though. I do like the idea. I mean, I th- that would be me in the apocalypse for the yeah. limited amount of time that I'd be there carrying a bunch of like flash drives. I was going to say it would uh, be like seeds. like D- like Godzilla DVDs trying to preserve the last of the uh, the recorded media. Yeah, yeah. Bill would be carrying around little uh, little containers of latex. He's like, you can use this for makeup, for <laughs> everything. <laughs> Great, awesome. Uh, <laughs> use. It's spirit gum. It'll stick forever. <laughs> yeah. no, It'll make it stick. Gum. That's funny. Spirit gum doesn't stick to shit. Let me tell you. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Ask, ask my son when he was little. Uh, he For Halloween, he wanted to be a, a werewolf. And, and oh, I God, wasn't... no. Yeah, no, no. So I had spirit gum and like an old like crappy wig thing and cut it up and and spirit gum <laughs> to his chest face and they, they and tested I, out spirit gum gum on Paul's son oh, and it's yeah. like hey it sticks to this kid it'll stick to everybody but he's the only one it ever stuck to yes. I'm guessing that he looked like I do when I roll over onto my pillow after my cat has been shedding <laughs> it wasn't bad but you know oh it, my god it like that for a while afterwards though because uh, so for those of you, for those out there in the audience, so here's the tip: uh, spirit gum is basically pine tar. It's the cheapest stuff on earth. Um, 
But what's less cheap is spirit gum remover. And you damn well <laughs> better buy some spirit gum remover. But don't, because here's the secret there. That stuff, that stuff is, go find baby oil and rubbing alcohol. Now, don't drink the rubbing alcohol. Don't ask me why. 50-50, um, 50-50 mineral oil or baby oil, whatever. It either comes from minerals or babies. The point is it's oil. 50-50, the oil and the rubbing alcohol, and you've got spirit gum. Now you're saying, Bill, that sounds like it should cost about three cents a gallon. Indeed it does, but <laughs> that's not what they sell it for. But yeah, that's what it is. They, they are the biggest criminals on earth, the people who sell makeup stuff. <laughs> I mean, every, anyone in the music industry, also magicians. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Anyways... Uh... <laughs> Back to Mad Max Fury Road. Um, <laughs> let's let's steer this war rig back on track by uh, I'll, I'll call out a couple of the things that I love. Nice. I have like a long list of notes, but um, just just there are so many little things about the sequence, and I think we mentioned this last time, but it's like the the over like the sequences, the action, they're all incredibly well put together, but. I think the thing that really makes this movie stand out is just all of the little touches. I will oh. say the spitting gasoline into the intake to make the cars go faster. Yeah. Love it. I wonder if that would work, spitting gasoline into your engine. You're going to try to find out. Worth a try. I just, I just want to jump back to something that I noticed before this part was just that we were talking about little details. When Max is actually making a map, remember, he has like, a, it's almost like a little toothpick. And he has like a little tiny piece of cloth or something. And he's actually, mm -hmm. he's actually plotting on a map, which I thought was really kind of cool. I don't know. I like mm -hmm. that. Yeah. yeah. Which is kind of funny because they were basically driving in a straight line the whole time. A straight so. line. I was just going to say, <laughs> like, this is like the Normandy invasion. I mean, <laughs> no, no, remember she takes a hard left at one point. Oh, but that's true. This, this is one of the few times when it actually would make sense to just yell Leroy Jenkins and just yeah. go straight ahead like, as fast uh, as you can. Isn't this okay. like the monkey track tracking Max that went beyond Thunderdome? Like you can just follow the tracks back. Yeah, I mean it's yeah. basically. I mean they could basically say, okay, it's it's about this far as far as the crow flies, and also as far as we can, as far as we're driving, because it's just a straight line. So <laughs> we go back through the swamp and then through the canyon and then pretty much a straight line to the citadel. Is that's, everyone with me? Then on through this, the death yeah. storm. Oh, yeah. Maybe, storm, maybe yeah. the canyon was a little bit more windy than we thought. Maybe there were that's branches true. we didn't notice. See. One other thing that I kind of liked, especially after I, I mean, I liked it before, but it kind of I kind of like the fact that it had more context, because I think it was Bill who mentioned last time that with the the Lancers kind of reminded you of harpooning like a whale. And mm -hmm. it's kind of funny because then when they're driving back through the uh, the war boys and they they actually have all of these like wreckers or tow trucks and they are firing harpoons into the war rig trying to slow it down which is essentially you know exactly what they would yeah. do with yeah. uh you know i think i think whalers they would actually they would harpoon them but then they would have the um you know they would attach barrels to them to, to tire them out so i don't know i thought that was kind of mm -hmm. kind of funny this is when they drop the dredges down too right where they'd harpoon it and then yes the dredges yeah. that That's was really cool, cool. <laughs> yeah so they're not just slowing it down with their vehicles they're actually trying to bite into the ground with the vehicles themselves, which I thought that's really... And then, obviously, we talked about it. We mentioned it last time, but the guys on the poles... The pole oh, yes. I mean, <laughs> the best. 
there was a, there was just so much going on in that. It was you could you couldn't describe that to someone in the amount of much like this podcast. You couldn't describe it to somebody in the amount of time you could see it. It was just so much and so much detail and. It's really cool. Yeah. Obviously, this whole chase is a very horizontal action scene. And I love the fact that they basically added verticality to it by putting these guys on the on poles and just mm-hmm. them sw- swing around the whole time. Yeah. And I can't yeah, remember the last time that they, they were from uh, Cirque du Soleil, were they not? Stop. Uh, yes, they, they were, were they really? traveling around when the bombs dropped and they had uh, they had formed a troop of, of roving oh, uh, oh, circus the... cannibals. Oh, you mean, oh, you mean in, the, in real life? Yes, in real life. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Is that, yeah. is that true? What? You don't know? You guys are like the, 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 the goodness gracious. Yes, I believe <laughs> the, 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 the whole idea came from they, they knew guys from Cirque du Soleil who did this poll work and they were like, Oh, I wonder if we could, you know, we could use this. And they ended up, you know, and hence the poll cats were born. Cause originally they were going to try to, to do like, I mean, I think they, they still, from what I've seen in the back in the, in the, um, in, in some of the extra material, they do use some green screen where it's not actually moving or, or, you know, when they're doing some of the things, but some of the stuff is done at speed or, you know, or slower speeds, but they, you know, they're actually on moving vehicles. And originally they were going to try and like kind of fake it in. And I was like, no, we can actually put a real guy up here. And he has most of the control of it. I mean, there are the guys on the bottom at the counterweight, but um, the person up top has a, a lot of the control and, and can let go and drop off of it and so forth. So, yeah. It makes sense. I mean, if you're going to, if you, if you need stuntmen to do something like that, Cirque du Soleil would be the people you'd look for. I mean, just like if, if I had a roach infestation in my kitchen, I'd see if anyone from Riverdance was available. <laughs> well, it, it, it reminds me of um, the Dark Crystal. Because, uh, like in the Dark Crystal, I, you remember, if you remember the Land Striders, which are the. Oh, yeah. The oh, run. Yeah. That came about because they had, had some stuntmen that had like stilts on their feet and then they're like hey can you put them on your hand you know it was sort of like this Mm -hmm. hey it wasn't written originally to be in there It was like noticing hey wait can you do this oh that's cool oh i wonder if we could build a costume around you and have you run full speed with this it was the same kind of thing like hey there's this really cool thing these people do these polls let's write that in and make this to be a really kind of cool thing from it i would have loved to have been at the lunch or whatever it was when they started throwing out ideas because all the things that we keep talking about, wouldn't it be cool if like they harpoon the truck and then they put dredges in the sand? Yeah, write that down, write that down. And uh, and we got guys on poles swinging. Oh, great, write that down. And there's a guy with a guitar spitting out fire. Okay, you've had enough to drink. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I like the guys on the poles going you know, back and forth, but I kind of got caught up in like what they were doing was so cool. Like I kind of lost track of what their purpose was. I mean... Were they supposed to like, okay, if a car comes up beside me, I can pole vault onto that car? Yeah, they, they, the were tra- they, were tr- they were trying to get the women. They were trying to reach into the cab and, and get the women out. Okay, okay. So, okay. So sort of like yeah, cherry pickers from the side or something. I mean, but it's, I, I, it seemed like they had a lot of the pole guys for just that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think they, I mean, they they were doing that in the scene. I'm not saying that's that's they were like, oh, we got let's build some poles to really quick to to kidnap these women. But I'm saying like, I think that's what they that's what they were doing. But they're also used as basically like uh, a boarding party because they were they were ju- they were kind of jumping off the poles onto the 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 back of the war rig as well. So I, I, it's basically you know like if you're if you're uh, 
you know, in the old like pirate movies where they would get on a rope right. and swing across to the other ship. Basically the same. Yeah. Same idea. It made absolutely no sense in those movies and it makes about as much sense here. But yeah, at this point, boy, at this far into the movie, I'm just along for the ride. It, right. If it's, not, <laughs> if it's not completely violating the laws of God and physics, like say any uh, too fast, too furious movie. Um, um, sure. Why not? Of course, that's what they would do. Yeah, that, that's cool. Yeah. And speaking of violating, speaking of violating the laws of physics, I think my favorite, for some reason, I just love this so much. It's just a split second. But when Max falls and Furiosa catches him by the leg and he's like dangling upside down beside the cab and then Nux comes up and just like kicks him into the front of the other car and he lands, he like goes like Mm. he does like a 180 and lands on the the people eaters truck for some reason that That one moment like if i have to pick one stunt in the entire movie that i love the most it's that one yeah he'd have to be kicking like chuck norris to make that work but yeah (laughs) yeah no idea how much that was real how much was cgi but i think i love it because it's so hard to tell it looks like a real stunt so okay it turns out that a, a stuntman who worked for cirque du soleil uh, had an eight-week training program for the people who for the pole boys there, the pole cats. Oh, okay. So wow. yeah, yikes. I also read it was almost very awkward because they almost hired someone uh, who had ex- uh, experience in another another type of pole work, and that would have been a bunch different movie. Um, but anyways, uh, um, other things <laughs> I love. <laughs> wow. Uh, <laughs> I also love the fact there is so at near the end of this when Max, uh, I, you know, and I, I think I think we talked last time. One of the few things I don't love about this movie is when he's having the flashbacks to the kid and he mm-hmm. keeps putting his hand up and that's what saves him. I don't know. I'm not a huge fan of that. But at this point, I don't. It's like, man, I, I don't even care. But uh, but then the whole fight scene with him when he's near the end where he's like on kind of on the front of the car and he's kind of fighting between the truck and the giga horse. And mm-hmm. the, I, again, I think I mentioned last time, I love the score so much for this, but my favorite part, and I love this occasionally other movies do this and I love it. It, the, the action or the, the, uh, the music is actually synced to the action. So if you watch and you listen, like all the beats are like anytime someone hits like someone will hit someone and there'll be a beat and then that person will mm-hmm. fall down and hit the hit the hit the truck and there'll be a beat i don't know i love that so much yeah i did not notice that but it was an amazing score oh my goodness well, now you need to go watch the entire film again i do just to yeah. notice that so i, I give you an excuse the good news is it'll take it'll take less time than listening to our podcast so <laughs> <laughs> right. It's it's just one of those things. I think I, it was like the second or third time through that I actually noticed that. But it's it's mm. yeah. Again, another another cool little uh, little detail. Oh oh yeah, and then also the the uh, the the sound the sync is also when he's fighting the Doof Warrior and the the sound of the guitar as it's like hitting things is is actually kind of part of yeah the yeah. Speaking of the Doof Warrior, if if we have no other details about this, we to- we talked about the that crash where kind of the last thing we see is the, the guitar coming out at the camera, like a kind of 3d effect. Um, What we did not talk about last time. And we, we talked a lot about the, the, the troubled production. It took a long time for this movie to actually get into production to begin with. And then the film was originally supposed to have, I think a hundred 
and 40 filming days and that got cut down to like 100 and somehow they ended up filming for months and months and months but the interesting thing is that the film was actually basically that it was cut short and at one point the i think it was because the uh, i i didn't write down the names basically there were a couple of people kind of vying for control at warner brothers and the guy who was in charge at the time basically told them eventually he just gave him an ultimatum or, or basically just told him you have to shut down production. I think it was like, he gave them a specific date. He said on this day you run out of money and you can no longer film. So this, this, uh, this crash scene at the end of this was actually filmed much, much later because, and I think it may have been almost a year because Margaret Sixel, who we mentioned is, you know, the, the editor and won an award for that, an Oscar for this. She mentioned that they were editing the movie for almost a year, basically without a beginning and an ending. And so what, wow. what, what happened was they, they basically, I mean, they had gone over budget, I think, but basically they were, they were told, Hey, you got to quit filming. And they hadn't filmed any of the intro at the Citadel and they hadn't filmed <laughs> any of the, the end uh, at the Citadel either. Wow. So basically they were just editing this film that had no beginning and no end. Oh, wow. So this is this is kind of one of those things where it was a, I guess, a, a lucky turn of events that the person who at the time was at the head of Warner Brothers got ousted and this other guy came in and I guess he looked at what George Miller had and he basically told him that he had he would give him enough money to go film the beginning and the end of the film. Obviously, the the right choice at the time <laughs> and, and after. Um, but yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting that this 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 movie, it's it's like there are some movies that you hear about the trouble of production. And then when you watch it, you're like, yeah, I could see how this movie, you know, it's, it's, it's awkward or it's not put together well, or, you know, sometimes it's obvious that they went back and reshot stuff. But in this movie, I would not have guessed any of that if I hadn't read it. Right. So was this considered like a troubled production? I mean, we're, I, I trying to remember back when it was coming out, were people predicting doom for this? I seem to recall there were there was some rumbling in the press about how the budget had gone so far over it was extravagant and you know basically the same stuff they said right before avatar came out and then they promptly forgot they ever said it after it made a lot of money yeah this didn't do avatar type money but i guess it did pretty well yeah i mean i think it obviously you know with hollywood accounting there's uh, no telling it, it, how much it, it lost costs. all the money that's ever been minted yeah but. yeah yeah the the number that i've seen is like 150 million which you know i've read that it may have been higher than that i think that the the thing that kind of kept this one from being talked about because yeah i mean the, the one that i always remember is obviously water world which was you know the original uh over budget or not the original but you know in the 90s it was the big over budget film and this movie was filmed so far away from Hollywood and so far away from, you know, that whole ecosystem. I think that that was the only thing that really insulated it from being something that was talked about as being like basically a, a future bomb like that. Yeah. I mean, he basically, you know, we talked about he was out in Namibia for however, like nine months. And, you know, if, if the executives really wanted to get a hold of him, they had to fly out there and, you know, take a helicopter out into the middle of nowhere to, to talk to him. So in a way, I almost wonder if that kind of instead of filming in Hollywood where, you know, someone could hang over his shoulder every day, he was kind of insulated from 
that and and therefore kind of insulated from the media getting hold of this as a uh, as an over budget film that was going to bomb. One of the the uh, one of the quotes that he had that I really liked was something like, you know, when you're making a movie, you are thinking about it every day and then you were going to bed at night and dreaming about it. It basically becomes all consuming. And then when you are a, like uh, a studio executive, you're thinking about that movie for 10 minutes on a Wednesday morning or something to that effect. So I kind of like that. He obviously, I mean, he, he obviously, you know, he's worked in the studio system. He's, I mean, he's, he, Warner brothers has uh, released, I think all of the films since the road warrior, obviously he's not, one of these people who has completely bucked the system, but then he also kind of understands that play between the creative forces behind the films and the people who are kind of, you know, have the, the purse strings. So I don't know. I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, we'll also note that he, uh, he actually, I think, I think he has the rights to Mad Max now because speaking of Warner brothers, he was uh, going to direct contact, which I believe was like 97 and ultimately got direct, uh, ended up being directed by Robert Zemeckis. And I think, too, he was actually under contract to direct that. But for some reason, they wanted Zemeckis to direct it. So basically, the deal that he made was the he got the rights to Mad Max in order uh, in return for stepping away from that, which I thought was actually wow. really cool. Yeah, <laughs> which I mean, hey, Context is, you know, it's a fine movie. But ultimately, I think uh, he probably got the the better part of that deal. Yeah, that's that's surprising to me that they would. Hollywood's such a weird place. <laughs> well, yeah. If if you think about it, I mean, it does kind of make sense, just because at the time, I mean, that that movie came out in '97, and the last Mad Max film had come out twenty or uh, twelve years prior, and basically there had been there was no revenue in the franchise since then, right? There were no like spinoffs. There was no, you know, there were no video games. There were no action figures. So they probably saw it as something. I mean, other than like home video sales, they probably didn't see it as like a way that they could continue to make money. So he didn't come out with this one until almost 20 years later as well. So it was, I think it was a good investment actually yeah. on their part to say, yeah, <laughs> okay, take it. Cause they en ended up not, nothing happened with it for 30 plus years. So well, the whole, but the whole thing's bizarre. They're, they're having to come up with some way of buying off. So we want one of the world's great filmmakers to not make the movie we wanted them to make. But so here we'll give you, we'll give you the rights to this, even though we'll probably regret this said the guy who was probably the same one who said, M&M's in the movie E.T.? Nay, nay. <laughs> oh, no, no. We don't want to have Barbie in Toy Story. Uh, you know, all these terrible decisions they make. What's that? George Lucas will take a pay cut if we let him have control of the dolls? What a fool! Yeah. Give it to him before he changes his mind. Well, again, I don't think this is really a bad business decision for them. It was almost 20 years later. The person who made the decisions probably retired at this point. And it, it, you know, wasn't oh, like that's true. That's true. Yeah, it wasn't, yeah. Yeah. Like You're not five wrong. years later and made it and they made five more films. And, you know, no, he waited almost 20 years. They're like, yeah, phew, sure. Go ahead. Good deal for them. The only one, the only, seriously, the, the only people in Hollywood who, who ever think more than two years in the future is like Disney. It's like, yeah. what's that? The copyright on Mickey Mouse is going to run out in 10 years. Quick, go buy Congress. Make yep. sure that doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's funny you mentioned E.T. because obviously there's uh, there can be a lot of money made in not directing films because wasn't the wasn't uh, wasn't there someone who's originally going to direct E.T. or something? And then they they basically Spielberg gave them so, like some points because he wanted to direct it and they ended up oh, making. Oh, you know what? 
like I, tens of millions of dollars for not drinking tea. You know that 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 yes, I can't remember who that might be. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that that sounds like a sweet deal. Boy, I wish yeah. I could fall into something like that. Yeah, I was gonna say so Hollywood. If if you want me to not direct a film, please call me. I'll, I'll do it for for cheap. I'll not direct a film for a mere you know half million dollars. Reasonable. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Name your price if that's not. <laughs> anything uh, else? I, I mean, that person never has to. Will never have to work again for the rest of. I, you know, I, that, that story is beginning to percolate in my head now because it I, seems like uh i think william stout tells that story which is probably why maybe why you recognize it but he wasn't the one who was going to direct it no, no 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 but yeah. william stout did i think he did some i think he was i think oh yeah it was because he was working at conan at the time and i oh. think that et was in the same was uh being made in the same area and so he i think knew the knew the person who who made this deal? Whatever. And I feel was, like but... the person who that the person who made that deal didn't do a whole lot afterwards. Oh, which yeah. makes me the person well, you that I admire. No, of course I wouldn't. <laughs> Are you kidding? No, oh, I would be enjoying like, I my made life. Ten million dollars for not like, working. You know, you get out. Yeah, you you get out of that rat race and and make a fortune for doing nothing. But you know that Spielberg's a generous guy because you know what? Like Amy Irving hasn't had to work a whole lot either. I'm not sure if I know who that is. That was his ex-wife, and she got like half of everything oh, made up oh, to the point oh, where they got God. divorced, and it was yeah, yeah. So yeah. she's been living a happy retired life. The the one other thing I wanted to call out, backtracking just a little bit. This is kind of an interesting line because it it does infer that there is more backstory here. Because obviously, obviously, Furiosa is pretty high up in the hierarchy. And so obvious, and especially because, well, I mean, he's, he's coming after the women, but he's also coming after her and he's trying to stop her. He's, he's, uh, uh, Morton Joe has kind of activated his entire force and he knows what's going on. But right before he, right before she tears his mask off and like throws it into the axle and I guess like tears the rest of his face off. She has a one liner that I've always kind of wondered about. Cause she tears, she basically, I think she tears his mask off or, or she, she grabs his mask and mm -hmm. then she says, remember me. Mm -hmm. And I've always kind of wondered what that meant because it's not like she's someone who, I mean, he knows who she, she's like I said, she's like one of his, like basically yeah, one of intense. his generals. So mm -hmm. I don't know. I kind of wonder that line. Like, why does she say that specific line right before she kills him? Is it, Maybe is it like sort of a reference to what, like the, the, war boys are doing in terms of she's basically saying you know almost mocking oh. remember me yeah. when you Valhalla oh. is that what she's saying? but the way she said she doesn't say it okay know. and I'm probably yeah I'm probably reading far too in too much into it but she doesn't say remember me and then do it right she says remember me yeah uh, just the inflection makes it sound like hey do you remember me I don't know. But, but it's know. weird because you're right it wouldn't make a lot of sense because she is like one of his number one people but then you start thinking mm -hmm. Okay, I mean, doesn't matter. If she's got mm. one arm. She's an extremely beautiful woman. Why is she not one of his brides? Other than the fact so, that she probably tear his dick off and make him eat it. But well, there know, is that. again another interesting thing that is left out, but is that is actually covered in the script. Uh, she cannot have children. Uh, yeah. So basically, she says he he tried to you know have children with her and she couldn't. So he gave her he gave her to the head imperator and then when he died she inherited his war rig 
but maybe that's it, Bill. You're, you're going to look, you know, you're going to go through this prequel and you're going to find out that since she couldn't have children, he just chopped her hand off and sent her on her way. And that's going to be it. Well, <laughs> this does not make me want to watch the prequel because it means I'm going to have to watch a whole lot of him and her having sex until they oh, figure God. out, gosh, God, this just isn't not. working. Ugh. Yeah. I, I, well, I will say that, that there, you know, it's it's always hard to tell if something's taken out of the script, if it's con- yeah. still considered canon or not. So Ooh, maybe, I hope not. Burr. But I mean, that does make sense, though. It actually does make perfect sense. It does. That, it does. Like, yeah. like you said, like she's healthy and she she's obviously, you know, not. I mean, presumably she lost her arm in an accident, not because she has like some sort of, you know, I don't know. Arm t- cancer. Arm, arm cancer. cancer. Yes. That's yeah, still not my fault. She's still she's yeah. still some of the best genetic stock in the whole movie. Right. Yeah. right. She was actually born without the arm. Oh, oh there you that'd go. That'd be interesting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, with various birth defects and stuff in there. That mm-hmm. it's, it's just her hand. We've taken her whole arm off now. Yeah, that's true. That okay. is true. Yeah. Yeah. Forearm, is that better? It's not just her hand. There you go, yeah. yeah it's it's, like the, it's in the whole left yeah. side of her well, Listen, listen. If someone chops off my arm at the elbow, I I am going to tell everyone that I have lost my arm. I'm not going to get, you know. <laughs> technically, I still have half. I got, you know, no. You lost your arm. I was just going to say that, I'm sorry, I'm still kind of focused on your comment about remember me. And I wonder because at that point, she's become pretty much useless i think to him so you know you maybe it's like you've cast me away because i have no use to you and i'm back bitches i don't know yeah and now you have no face Ooh, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah you mean you mean Ooh. that he, she, she, she he cast her her out before this or no because, because she was the you know she was his imperator uh and she, you know, betrayed him by taking the women away. And she really, at this point, is of no use to him because, you know, people are not people to him. Right. So, you know, at that point, did he forget about her? Or was he so focused on saving the women? He had no, you know, he just was done with her. He just oh. tried to have her killed, you know? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's that's maybe yeah, maybe that's that's it's as simple as that. Oh gosh, you know, I'm looking at the pictures now, and you're right. It's like. It's not at the elbow. I mean, okay, sure, your arm gets pulled off of the elbow, but, you know, that's a joint. But this is, like, <laughs> halfway between the elbow and your hand. Oh, that's going to sting. As <laughs> a transradial amputation. Um, so there you go. Ooh. Thank oh, you. That's fancy. Just in case you wanted to know. I just want to say, that's a hell of a great special effect, too. I mean, yeah. they, they've, they've got that down to an art, that, you know, wow. to be yeah. able to... Make thing, make things disappear. I feel like that was like the first thing that they perfected, though. Like I feel like you know we talked about um, we talked about Forrest Gump, obviously Gary Sinise oh, right. and his leg. But I was also <laughs> I was also watching part of uh, <laughs> the other day. I was watching part of Starship Troopers, and I realized that they're uh, they're the Michael Ironside is in that movie, and he doesn't have an arm. So yeah. You know, even back in the nineties, they're like, "Hey, you need special effects? We can remove people's limbs." Because it really is just like, "Here, put this glove on, right?" Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and that, for hers, they actually the what it looks like is it's actually a um a, a lot of it is it's not they didn't just replace your complete arm. A lot of it is actually practically there, and then they just use uh, green uh, parts of it to to mask out the parts they're going to replace. So like probably like the tips, the hands are almost like an actual glove, but with the mechanical look to it. And then 
so they don't replace the whole thing. Right. So, which is kind of neat. But uh, also talking about some of the CGI they stuff they do do in this. I mean, they know they do. Um, yeah, <laughs> Uh, they remove the um, safety rigging, things like that. Yeah. But what, a lot of it is the canyon. So, like that final scene uh, when the war rig wrecks, and then the the what is it the doof mobile? What do they call it? Yeah, the the, the doof. Yeah, I think that's it. The doof mobile. It's the doof wagon. God. The doof wagon. There you go. Thank you, Renee. Oh, man. So here it is. You know, they're they're coming down the dark. They're this big canyon and then they're sort of like the, almost like the little archway they have to get through if you look at the behind the scenes it's wild it is a big huge flat open plain and then there's the there's they built part of that archway but all the rest of it is this big flat open plain and then they they fill all the rest of that in with the uh, cgi but they really mm -hmm. do wreck the rig and they do really do bring the doof wagon smash it through it which is cool but it's it's neat that they don't do that in cgi they just do the canyon sides so right yeah, cool. and I think they said they said they basically took that vehicle and loosened everything so that when it fell down, it would just like fly apart like it does. I saw that too, and I don't think I mentioned this, but it was George Miller's idea to add the trumpets and the tubas to the uh, <laughs> oh, really? doof wagon, which doof no saxophone is killing me. There was no saxophone. I looked. Mm -hmm. I actually may or I might have rewound and replayed it a couple times in slow motion. Yeah, you know, this is a this is a total diversion. I had already forgot about it <laughs> until we just mentioned it. I think it was it was it last episode, I think, where we were talking about saxophones and we talked about the sexy sax man yeah. from The Lost Boys. We actually made a stunning revelation between the that recording and this recording. Mm. We did went back, Renee and I went back, did some homework. Sexy Sax Man from Lost Boys also did the sax for We Don't Need Another Hero and what's the other what's the name of the other song? Oh god. Yeah, whatever whatever the, the I can't it remember. It doesn't even matter. That's impressive on yeah. its own. Are you yeah. serious? He, I mean, he did the sax like for those songs. Yeah. He is but he is also in the music videos for both of those songs from Beyond yeah. Thunderdome. So there is a direct connection the between living? the Lost Boys. Wow. The one of the living, yeah, yeah. Is he he and he dressed the same way basically? Yes. In those yes. He is an icon. I don't wow. think I don't think any movie or music video he's appeared in. Ha I don't think he ever allows them to give him a like a costume. He's like, no, no, no. I brought my own, mm -hmm. and he just slaps that thing mm -hmm. on. The leather, no shirt, gold chains, goes for it. Anyways, yeah. sorry, complete diversion. Mm -hmm. But I just no, I just never remember apologize that. for saxophone. <laughs> Sorry, what, <Ellen>? <laughs> <laughs> what was that, Ellen? I said I don't need a costume, just a bottle of oil. That's my I mean, costume. <laughs> I'm saying if I looked like that and I could play sax like that, yeah, I'd probably have. The I same mean, does costume. he look like that now? Because there no. was some time between Lost <laughs> he is, Boys. He and, is uh, in his. He's in his. I think he's in his like 60s or his 70s now, but he is still uh, still playing sax. I think he actually yeah. just put out a solo yeah. album uh, like two or three years ago. So. All right. Not like running a marathon. You don't get too old to play the sax. You get too old to play the sax. The worst, you're you're standing on the side of the street, like bleeding gums Murphy with a you know a hat <laughs> oh that people God. throw money into. Oh, <laughs> love bleeding gums Murphy. You yeah. know why they call him? You know why they call him bleeding gums, right? No. Oh, no. You ever been to the dentist? No. Well, he hasn't. Yeah, no, that's the joke. Oh, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's, oh, okay. that's what he tells. That's what he tells Lisa. Sorry, and uh, oh, I will say, gotcha, uh, gotcha. Tim Tim Capello <laughs> is his name. We should we yeah. should actually say his name. 
um, yes. because we ta- oh. we've now talked about him twice in a row. Say but, his uh, name. That's the sax guy? Yeah. Yeah, Tim Capello. Yeah, he can Say be a guest name. on the uh, on the show sometime. Oh, my God. Are you, oh, dude, we, if we can, he's 65, by the way. So well, wait, wait, you're, you're saying that, that like if we don't hurry up, we're, we're going to miss our chance. <laughs> no, 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 no. I just <laughs> guess we're asking how old he is. No, I, I'm sure he's still in, in good health. And you know what? Yeah, let's uh, let's see yeah. if we can get him on the pod. Definitely. Um, <laughs> you know what? Yeah, yeah. Because because I'll tell you something. That's the kind of guest you really want to have. You don't want oh, to get would Brad have so many freaking stories. Pitt because Brad Pitt's going to sit here and like, oh yeah, everyone I've ever worked with were great. They're terrific, and nothing bad ever happened. No, you want you want like the character actors or the the technical people, the behind the scenes ones, the ones who really don't give a rat's rear end about you know the fact that they're spilling the beans on all the shenanigans that went on behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah, let's get this guy. Mm-hmm. Come on. Come on you can forget yes. about yep. your Prince Harry and Meghan Merkel. This would be the interview uh-huh. that would just blow the lid off of things. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm sure he would he would really uh, he would really uh, rip Joel Schumacher a new one. Um, <laughs> anyways, moving on. So yeah, look forward to that in a coming episode. Uh, Renee will be interviewing uh, Tim Capello Ooh. about all of his work on Lost Boys and yes. Beyond Thunderdome. So yes. We have a lot to talk about. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> More than you uh, know. <laughs> we'll get to that after the podcast. All right. All right. Okay. I'm I have sorry. a story for after the podcast. Okay. Do we do we want to put that on, on the uncut version for our Patreon? Because that, <laughs> that sounds good. It sounds juicy. Yeah. Yeah. Like that. Yeah, okay. It is. Okay. (laughs) Well then, let's let's get to let's get to the the uh, the end of the movie then. Unless anyone has anything else, because I do want to talk to uh, a point that Bill brought up Mm. about him just kind of disappearing into the crowd. Mm. Because obviously, you know, and I think someone mentioned last time that it's kind of and I this for some reason never occurred to me, but uh, it is kind of foreshadowing in the beginning when they talk about him being a universal donor and then he obviously gives furiosa a blood transfusion so i thought that was kind of cool yeah but then they they get to the uh they get back to the citadel and all the little war boys lower the platform and they live happily ever after except for the fact that most of them die of cancer within like two to four years so yeah bill tell us about your Tell us about your thoughts on Max disappearing into the crowd well, instead of joining them in the Citadel. Well, no, no. I, I mean, I get it as as a film, especially if, as I do, you see this as really a, maybe the most overt religious allegory possible without it actually being a Bible movie. I mean, the only the only character who's ever been more Christ-like than Max in this movie is Jesus in, you know... <laughs> any king of kings or you know um i mean you know he he literally gives his blood to furiosa who who's basically the saint paul i guess in this story uh and and so what you know when when that's all said i mean jesus didn't hang around he no. gave everyone what they needed and then he went home and and so does max but i don't understand the logic of it um he's a survivor and I think the best place to survive was right there in the Citadel. It's got water, it's got food, it's it's got, you know, still 
at least four good-looking women. I mean, there's a lot. And he's going back out into the two-headed lizard desert that didn't look like things were going all that great for him in the beginning. But isn't that kind of his deal? Like, he goes places and saves people, and he's probably also an introvert. (laughs) He doesn't really have, like, a plan, right? I mean, it's not like his... He just, like yeah, just kind of stumbles into things. You know, I, I, I keep saying that I see him as, you know, like the Hulk was. You know, the Hulk traveled from town to town, you know, <laughs> trying to find a cure. Exactly I mean, I'm, it's Hulk, not yeah. really clear what, what Max is looking for, but... No, I, no, I actually, he was. He, he, he mentions it. He's looking for redemption. He look, he's looking for redemption, and so is Furiosa. Now, and he says, maybe we can both find it, and I think Furiosa does find it. Mm-hmm. And it, clearly to Max, in his own mind, he still hasn't made up for his missteps or the people he didn't couldn't save or so forth. So to him, yeah, that, I'm just saying that's yeah. to me, that's my take on it is that Max is like, all right, she's found her redemption. I still haven't find found mine yet. I don't I don't deserve to stay here. He needs more. Sure, but you know what? I'll bet there's <laughs> yeah. going to be lots of opportunities for redemption in this place that's full of food and water. Like maybe some old lady needs to put up some shelves or something. Well, you could do it for <laughs> and feel good about yourself. Although you know? I will say with with Matt with Max's row uh uh with, with his kind of history I, I could imagine he the old woman would ask him to put up the shelves and then he would try to do it and then the shelves would fall on her and she'd die and he'd be like, oh, oh again. Because no, I, I, I think that yeah. I think that the thing about He's a jinx. Think, yeah, well, I you know, I'm not I'm not saying that necessarily, oh. but the way he kind of is because when you think about I, I think that the reason that he's leaving is because even though he has kind of sa- helped save these people and he has presumably left this the citadel in better hands than it was in before he also kind of feels that every time he gets close to people he puts them in danger mm-hmm. and it's almost like he he almost can't bear the burden because there is really no safe place in the wasteland there are places that are safer and i mean yeah the citadel is kind of a safe place but i mean what happens after this like obviously the 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 people eater is dead and the bullet farmer is dead, but obviously someone's going to take over those places. And like you said, Bill, I mean, they're going to probably be coming to this place. That's uh, has a lot of resources. And ultimately I think that he almost can't bear the burden of not even failing to protect people, but just the burden of having to protect people. Right. Mm -hmm. He he's let so many people down and he is, he he's just left. There are so many bodies in his wake that he no longer wants that responsibility, which I mean, kind of makes mm-hmm. sense because he spends all three, three of the last movies trying to not be responsible for other people. Right. So in a way, I mean, kind of makes sense. Like that's kind of for his character to remove himself from a situation where he will have any responsibility for other people. You know, this has given me a good idea for like a twilight zone type short story. Or movie or something mm. yeah someone oh i don't know genie leprechaun what the hell ever uh someone gets a chance to make a wish and everyone always screws that up by wishing for something selfish and stupid and this person wishes to be a great hero to help people and the wish is granted but the twist is these people are only in trouble because of him he, <laughs> he say he, he saves people all the time but it's always something that he ultimately is responsible for yeah. Eh, 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 <laughs> yeah, no, eh, I like that. Eh, 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 there we go. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Send so, those checks to. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah, I've always, I've actually always felt like the end was kind of in character for him. Like he's not a joiner. No, yeah, I guess true. not. Yeah. And yet he keeps joining things. Well, I guess he didn't have a whole lot of choice in this one. Yeah. Well, exactly. That's and that's he got kind drafted. of the thing. Yeah. Every time, every time he's drafted. And I mean, he's also at this point, he's kind of so mentally broken that I guess the, the other question is like, even if he wanted to be part of this community, you know, could could he actually change himself into a person who can live with other people? He's been alone for so long. He's had only himself to talk to. You know, the only other people that he has to keep in company are visions of the dead. And whether or not he could actually like rehabilitate himself and actually live with other people is also just, I don't know, another question that I have. So he has got, he is mad. He's Mad Max. Yeah, it's in the name. <laughs> I guess I could just throw up um, a fun fact. I don't think we talked about it last time, but the scepter that Joe carries um, was actually his. Uh, and it was a gift from his mother-in-law. And there's a scene wow. where he's kind of looking down at it kind of lovingly. And I thought, I wonder if he was thinking about i don't know why thinking about his mother-in-law lovingly i don't know yeah. it could happen. i guess it could happen <laughs> huh yeah That's interesting yeah there was just a lot of symbolism in this it was just it's a lot it really is and biopolitics and necropolitics and just so much symbolism and like the bonding and um you know the um, almost like an umbilical cord that people are chained to each other it's just it's a lot <laughs> Now, how old is George Miller now? I believe he is. Actually, he just had a birthday two days ago. I believe he is 76 now. That's right. I forgot you tweeted that. Yeah, I tweeted. I, I was I was looking up and I was like, oh, shit, he has a birthday. I better uh, yeah, tweet something about that, which if you're not following us on Twitter, go to Twitter and search for at Video Junkies Pod and you can uh, you can you can follow us and you can see all kinds of director birthday tweets. <laughs> now, I don't I don't know if that's true or not. That's the only one I've ever done, but. You have to admire an art, you know, a filmmaker that has not really had an artistic decline. Seems oh, almost wow. to be going in the. It's, it is a young man's game. I think that's yeah. that's pretty clear. And a lot of the, my some of my favorite filmmakers, you you sort of regret that they like a, like an aging boxer. You wish they'd maybe quit the game a little bit early. The last few movies just. Oh. You know, something's changed. The, the energy's not there, or the business has changed too much, and they, or they or whatever, for whatever reason, it's just you, you make it makes you wonder whether the you, they were as good as you thought they were. Then you watch the earlier films, like Nah, yep, there was definitely something there. Yes, Dario Argento, I am talking right about <laughs> you, sir. Um, <laughs> you know, but but it's 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 a tough thing, and and here he's, and not only is he technically better and you know and doing all this but he's making films that seem exhausting i mean this looks like the kind of movie where if a guy shot it in in the prime of life it would have taken 10 years off of that life and this guy's <laughs> shooting it at a time when most people should be retiring um, yeah that's 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 something you know um nice to see rare to see in a way though you almost wonder if he's one of these people who is really kept young by doing these things. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because yeah, I almost sure. wonder. I mean, yeah, like like this movie, like you said. I mean, any you know, a filmmaker in his 30s or 40s would have been just exhausted by this movie. And apparently he was. I mean, we mm -hmm. we talked a little bit last time about 
how long the the shooting was the shooting conditions were pretty miserable there was a lot of strife on set between tom hardy and charlie theron and and kind of him i think that there was a lot of frustration with him you know tom hardy mentioned that he basically didn't really want his actors to go off script and tom hardy was a little bit frustrated with that and because he's he said that there was a script that George Miller had essentially written a decade ago and he was still trying to adhere to it. I, I can't remember who said it now, but uh, it was someone else on the crew who said like he, it, at, at some points it did almost seem like Miller was kind of wasting away making this movie. Mm-hmm. Then you go watch him like afterwards do it, like talking about it and giving interviews in the press. And I mean, yeah, he seems like he's in the prime of his life. So yeah, it's like you see the light in his eyes when he's talking mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. I bet there were times on the set when he was like wishing he was still working with that pig. <laughs> oh God! Probably. Oh boy. Um, I think I would be remiss if I didn't mention this at the point when Max asks her what she's looking for, and Furiosa says redemption. I kind of had this moment, like the movie really was almost redemption for women in the in the Mad Max universe, because up till now, I mean, even up to a certain point in this movie, it's never been a great time to be a woman. Uh, there's always kind of some bad stuff going on. Uh, and it really was nice. There was a bit of a redemption, I felt. It doesn't look like a great time to be anybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, but, at least oh, the men yeah. aren't getting raped, you know. Uh, but, but no, it's true. Listen, there, there is no, in, in all of human history, which is full of horrible, horrible times, I don't think any of those horrible times were not... Uh, less horrible for women than they were for any other group maybe children infants or something it's yeah this it's hard to even imagine look you can go to the worst parts of the world today and and it's bad for everybody there but it's worse for the women yeah this is just that's that's a hard and fast rule yeah that's not that's not me trying to be you know joe male feminist or anything that's just a clear obviousness there just go pick a country Pick any continent on the world. Go to the worst place there and decide, uh, you know, who you would least want to be. <laughs> learn her name because. <laughs> so, yeah, the apocalypse will be the apocalypse. If it comes, it's going to be a horrible time for everyone, but it's going to be worse for some. Right. But back, back be to Renee. So it's going to be hey. fine. I'm going to I'm going to last two weeks in the apocalypse. Giving good <laughs> advice that will all be ignored. And then they will kill me and take my flash drive of survival books. That's well, right. I mean, back to Renee's point, though, is that yeah, I mean, it's the it's it's much more um, a much more positive, I guess, as it were, uh, outcome. I don't know how you want to say. How did you put it, Renee? And again, I liked how you put it. I mean. Why should I even repeat it? Because you you actually said it. Best. Can we rewind? Yes, yes. <laughs> well, because I mean, I'm just I'm just saying I, I I really do agree with you. What I like about it is, it's not. Uh, sometimes films will do that and they'll go, "Look how woke we are." See, we 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 purposely yeah. made this movie. It's like no, it's just organic. To this is the story. This is a strong character. She's a woman. This is a strong. Yeah. It's not. It's not. It's not. It's not a. a you know. Girls will get it done. Hey, we're pandering to you. It, right. It's just, it's part of the story and it is that character, which I think makes it all the better. And I, and hopefully we'll see more of that where it's just natural to the story. It's natural and it's not 
this the, you know it's yeah. not, oh, not done pandering paul you you hit it right on the head here i mean this is this is like the opposite of most of these woke movies even to the point with the fight between furiosa and max mm. is a great fight and it's not one of these fights I mean, I, you know, these are all fantasy movies and everything, but I sure hope that women do not take seriously when they see Scarlett Johansson taking on Nathan Jones and kicking his ass. Because if you think that taking a few martial arts courses is going to let you do that, you're going to end up broken. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's on, you know, that was a great fight. They were evenly matched, mostly because he's been in bad shape and everything. She's got one arm, which, you know, is not an advantage and everything. It goes back and forth. You could, those two could fight a hundred times, and each one could win fifty times. Yeah, but it didn't feel like Superwoman versus you know, you know Bruce Lee or something. It felt like a real fight where they really got hurt, and they sold it too, which I, I like too. That was one of those fights where you felt like the punch that they did a few minutes ago was still being felt by the person. I'm really know, curious. I, I hate Hollywood. Yeah, Hollywood fights where, you know, people are punching and it sounds like boards are being broken, but as soon mm. as it's over, they're right back to normal. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, I've fallen down a flight of stairs. I was limping for a week, okay? And that was just one fall, much less <laughs> being punched repeatedly in the head. So, you know, I, I think this was this is good. What what do you think Furiosa has to be redeemed for? That's a cool, that that's is a a good cool question. line. And, and maybe that just, maybe maybe that is going to be addressed in the prequel. I mean, did she do terrible things? Well, is maybe she, it's redemption for who she's become, like a servant mm -hmm. of the warlord. Or, or does she just have survivor's guilt? I think I think it's a matter of she she has kind of done what she's had to do to survive. Like she was put in the position where she was the the imperator and she has done whatever she had to do, which is, you know, usually probably killing people or, you know, I don't know, maybe even, you know, bringing people back to him or mm. other, other equally terrible things. But basically she has done things out of kind of a sense of self-preservation. Mm -hmm. you, you wonder, are, are some of those women his brides because she's the one that gave gave them? Mm. Yeah, I mean, when when a, when a Morton Joe sends you out on an errand, it's not to get milk and bread, right? It's going to be something bad. Sending out the you milk. know, I'll bet he'd be pretty happy if you yeah, came back with true. some milk and bread, though. Just that's true. He probably he'd be like, "What is this? I did not <laughs> expect this. I sent you out for bullets, but this milk is delicious. It's your birthday, it's sir. <laughs> I didn't think anyone would remember." Well, milk actually, milk was... Now we can milk, make French toast. Milk was one of the things they were trading. That's true. Yeah, yeah oh, that's what Renee said, yeah. yeah. In fact, in fact, Max washes in it, so... Yeah. <laughs> true. Which also was kind of symbolic, too, in a, in a strange to say. way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sure. You know. You notice that she did not rescue the, the overweight women who were providing mother's milk. Huh? No, they, no they, but you know, no, they didn't. They didn't need rescuing because remember, they they, they turn on the water at the end. Yeah, and apparently there was a scene where they were supposed to kill uh, Corpus Colossus, the the little dude. Yeah. Um, oh no. And I guess they took a bunch of takes, and George was like, "I can't do this." Yeah, yeah that'd I be don't awful. <laughs> yeah, but it was the one of the women, I guess, that was supposed to have killed him. <laughs> you know, what's funny is the, the first time I watched it, I swear that he had died. Like I, mm. I swear, remembering him like 
having a heart attack and dying or something. Well, he looked like he was going to. Right. Well, yeah. that's what I'm saying. But when I watch it this time, it's not it's not as definitive. It's just more yeah. like he's like, oh, more like he's having the vapors, you know. The <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I'm glad they I'm glad they rethought that one. Yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, because, you know, it's, okay, yeah, can you imagine when they're divvying up that? It's like, okay, you take on Rictus Erectus, but I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go take care of the little guy. Yeah. Well, you got to take out some of the smaller war boys, too, the little ones, too. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> the, the war pups, yeah. The war pups, yeah. I actually, you know what bothered me about that? Some of those war pups, the makeup on their eyes was really bad. There was like one or two of them that they just, it, made, it was too dark and too large and just looked mm. really bad and it just, it bothered me. Let me each time they'd show the warp ups, so there was like one or two of those kids. It. Like, I like no, I thought I think that was a deliberate choice to kind of give them that, uh, you know, that skeletal that, look. that skeleton, that baby skeletal look. That's yeah. that's really right. creepy and all. It's, right. But it was like it was like a kid wearing Halloween makeup, not not war boy makeup. It was. Mm. It didn't look to me. It didn't work. I don't know. Well, we well can, you know that they're all supposed to be descendants of the I like turtles kid, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the one backstory. Oh, yeah, the that, best. That's... <laughs> that kid's got to be thirty years old now, right? I, I, Probably. I saw an interview with him, like from shortly after it happened, and I think he was kind of embarrassed about the whole thing. He was just, do you know oh, how many? Come on, kid, do you know how many times it. that? Yeah, that kid's probably like twenty right oh, now. Do you know how many uh, times a day someone comes up to him and says, "I like toitles"? <laughs> hey, a lot. Hey. Look! Look at Rebecca Black. She parlayed it into an actual like career. Oh, so, oh God. so yeah. what can I say? Yeah, it's Friday. Um, Friday. Right? Oh, it is. And <laughs> you know, the, I think the only other thing I had that I, I wanted to call out because I actually usually forget this, and I had to kind of make a note of it because this movie actually ends with a quote, and it's uh, "Where must we go? We who wander this wasteland in search of our better selves." And it's accredited to the first history man, which I don't think is actually mentioned in the movie. Uh, I think he's mentioned in the script, but um, I kind of thought that was an interesting and that almost gets back to what I was talking about with, you know, Max is kind of wandering the wasteland almost in search of his better self at this point. So, hmm. well, and every it, time that... he finds it, he leaves. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but he needs more redemption. Um, mm. But that kind of works with, um, I was also going to circle back on, you know, not only did she have redemption, but everybody, um, Max and Nux and, you know, even some of the girls kind of transcended their assigned roles of, you know, Nux mm. eventually sacrificed himself, but not to that group, but to the people that, you know, actually showed some sort of interest in him as a person. Yeah. Um, you know, and then of course there's Max doing his Max thing, but, you know, he was, he was a blood bag at one point. Now he's saving people in a in a different way. Well, normally we talk about the franchise and legacy of each film. I think we've already talked a lot. I mean, obviously, we've talked about the previous installments in the franchise to great detail in previous episodes. We've also talked a lot about the future installments. There is a Furiosa film that apparently Warner Brothers has set a release date in 2023. So mm -hmm. we'll see if that happens. Like I said, I remember waiting like 15 years for this movie. Right. So right. we'll see how long that one takes. And then there's actually a third film, which is, I believe, tentatively titled Mad Max uh, The Wasteland. 
which uh, I think was part of the when they were writing this movie, they actually kind of wrote all three movies together. We also didn't mention, but I will touch on this. The one of the other credited co-writers of this and the other two films is Nick Lathoris, who we called out in the way back in the first film. He is the mechanic who they stopped to get a uh, a new tire from, which I've always I still think is amazing. Huh. Wow. It's kind of interesting that this kind of gave George Miller, who I mean, he had he had been directing. I mean, he made the two Happy Feet films, but this he has another movie that is, I guess, currently in production called 3000 Years of Longing. And then he has the other two Mad Max films. So it's almost as if making this movie kind of kickstarted him to mm. to work on on more projects. I mean, the last time he made Pit, Babe Pig in the City in 98, and that was really like the last like full live action feature film that he had made. So I was just looking up. I hadn't heard of 3000 years of longing, but interesting description. A scholar content with life encounters a genie who offers her three wishes in exchange for his freedom. Their conversation in a hotel room in Istanbul leads to consequences neither would have expected. Well, for God's sakes, don't wish yeah. to be a hero because I know how that's going <laughs> to <be>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it actually oh, sounds oh, ch- like... Check out this yeah. cast, though. Yeah, I'm, Idris I'm guessing Elba. the genie, Idris Elba, and I'm yeah. guessing the scholar, Tilda Swinton. Yeah. I, you know, I could actually see them swapping those. I, yeah. Absolutely. I, I, honestly, I that's the great thing, yeah. 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 Either one. Yeah, so I, I'm definitely looking forward to, honestly, that even though it's not a Madame X movie, I'm I'm really excited that he's making another live action film. Sounds like it could be kind of high concept, so I'm could definitely interested. The cinematographer is the same guy who did uh, Fury Road, and he came out yeah. of retirement to shoot Fury Road, and he came yeah. out of retirement again to shoot this one. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, actually, funny, funny side story. Um, and I know it seems like I have one of these like every episode, but this last weekend I was watching The Last Wave, which is a Peter Weir oh, film. Yeah. Yeah, oh yeah, okay, yeah. you've seen that. Um, yeah, and yeah. then you know, again, you know, I always watch the credits because it's part of the movie, and you got to watch the credits. One of the uh, the I think he was the only credited camera operator on that film was John Seal, who is the the cinematographer that Bill is talking about. So, oh. kind of interesting connection there. Yeah, feels like the Australian film community is a very small. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's, the, yeah. that's the great thing about these. Anytime you look at these Australian films or exploitation films, you see all these connections because, yeah, it's a, it's, a, mm-hmm. it's, small, it's a small community. Like we mentioned last time, he also directed, uh, or, or excuse me, he also shot one of the greatest films of all time, BMX Bandits. So <laughs> I, I, I am curious, though. So if he, so we mentioned George Miller's getting, you know, he's getting on in his years. He's 76. Who knows how much? I mean, hopefully he can go long enough to make at least two more movies. But if he makes Furiosa and or the other Mad Max movie and then he retires is can anyone think and I, I asked these open ended uh, trivia questions. This is actually one that I, I I did figure out an answer to. But can anyone else think of a director who started and ended their career in the same franchise? I cannot. Yeah. The only one I could think of is actually another George. I believe uh, George Romero 
began and ended his Okay. Well, but dead. oh, let me think. Didn't he do it though? I mean, uh, oh, let me think. Because yeah, wasn't his yeah. first movie? Wasn't that his first movie? I think, I think you may be right because he did he did other stuff, but those and then, were not features. Oh, they were commercials and such, weren't they? Commercials, yeah, and, and, yeah. He he worked uh, in commercials, but that was his first. So, he, well, he did something called the amusement park, which is so just now the, getting released, right? Yeah, that that is a film that he shot, I believe, in the seventies. But it's okay. it's yeah, the the date on it is like this year or last year or whatever because it never actually got. I think he he filmed it for some religious group, and they were so revolted by what he gave them that they never released it. So, <laughs> oh, now yeah. I really want to see this. But no, no it's, I think, it's amazing. I, oh, yeah. Zach, amazing. I, I think you're absolutely right, Zach. Night, Night of the Living Dead's 1968 and uh, Survival of the Dead 2009. Yeah. So I, I think that would be, I, I would honestly, <laughs> I, I hope George Miller makes, at, you know, at least one more movie in this franchise, because I, I really do think it would be an interesting kind of kind of arc from the original Mad Max to kind of finishing off in essentially the same franchise but like we've talked about the the franchise has gone so far from the original film to this that it feels i mean it is practically a different a different world but at the same time there's this interesting there you know there's connective tissue like we said there's he even uses a couple of frames of footage so he hasn't completely forgotten or disowned the original film so Let's let's so yeah let's let's rate this let's rate this we can if anyone has a uh, I you know and I say that anyone like I'm not talking about myself because I always talk for like five <laughs> minutes in this section but which I will do again um, but we'll we'll do that and then maybe we can each go around and as or when we rate it we can kind of give our our final thoughts on the franchise as a whole and kind of rank them now that we've gone through all four films. I think we pretty much know what each and every person will have, but, you know, it's still be mm -hmm. kind of fun to recap. I, I think speaking of coming full circle and having an arc, I think I actually want to start with Alan because he's been relatively mm -hmm. quiet tonight, but uh, he's kind of alluded to his thoughts on this movie. So maybe we can start with him. All right. And tell me what I'm doing again. I'm, I'm doing my, <laughs> I'm doing a rating and where this fits in with the. Um... So, so, so you give it, give it a rating out of, out of five VHS tapes. You can, you can go on a rant if you would like, and then your overall rankings for the franchise for all four films. Oh, you mean like a collective, uh, like, you know, one, two, three, four, like how would you, how would you, ah, how okay. would you stack them? Yeah. So I actually, so I, I I thought about this movie, what I was going to rank it a lot, and I went back between a a couple of um, of ratings. Originally, I had said, you know, I'm I'm going to give this two and a half. I mean, I just this. I mean, I'm I'm sort of fed up with action movies, and this is just another action movie. And then I didn't really think that was completely fair because I think if I wouldn't have watched any of the other films, I think that this would get a higher rating. It's just, if I had watched, like I have the first three Mad Max films, I would not have watched this. I'd have been like, oh, here's another one. And um, I'm just not interested in it. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm going to give this three. And again, three is, it may, may be low for, you know, huge fans or whatever, but um, getting a three from me for an action movie is, um, is actually pretty good. Now, the the uh, the franchise as a whole, I, I think I'm going to give that a three as well. Um, 
it's it's just i mean for me for me at least this is not really my like cup of tea and it's just kind of middle of the road i mean i don't think i didn't watch these other than the first one i didn't watch these and thinks wow this was just a bad movie that i wouldn't want to see again the rest of them i thought were entertaining so so that's that uh, three for this one and and I, I give the whole franchise a three which which means which means I'm I'm really not looking forward to another movie in this franchise, unfortunately. Um, I mean, you know, that being said, you know, if they come out with Friday the Thirteenth Part Eleven or whatever they're up to, I'm there for that one. But <laughs> I, I, I don't know. It's um, yeah, I'm just I'm middle of the road on this. Much like uh, Max's wife when she got ran down. In the original Mad Max. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, hey, you know what, uh, Paul? When Max says that he's looking for redemption in this movie, do you think that it's actually the director speaking through the character and saying that he was looking for redemption with the fans from Beyond Thunderdome? No. Ooh. No. Okay, well, <laughs> no. well, I think he was. And I would like to hear whether the biggest Thunderdome hater of all. Uh, whether George Miller found redemption with you. So let's go to you and let's get your final thoughts. Oh, I, I think he certainly found redemption with me uh, uh, with this. Well, I mean, he found redemption with me at, you know, with Babe Pig in the City, but, um, <laughs> which, uh, but anyway, uh, no, definitely. <laughs> it's, uh, well, no, it is. I'm not joking. It's like that film, but it's um, it's cute. it is, it is. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, no, th this is uh, a full five out of five. Um, uh, again, the the act it's an action film that you can actually tell what the hell's going on. <laughs> this is like one of the its greatest virtues. And like you said, he's because he sped it up and he slowed it down. He tweaked everything so you can actually follow the action. It's, it's amazing. It's epic. It's I, I usually don't like watching films, uh, you know, multiple times if I've if I've seen them recently. But this is one I could because it's it's just it's so well done and it really is the the pretty great um overall you know when when you average it out i i uh the, ser the series is great um i don't know if i'd give it and i have to go through and see what my individual rankings are if you want to do an average on them but if you want to rank the the movies in it um it, it really is hard to decide which is first either this or road warrior i mean this is such a different um, orders of magnitude in terms of the action, but also in terms of the money that was spent in the, the, the technology um, uh, compared to uh, roadware. I think they're both fantastic as they are. I could, I could weenie out and put them, you know, they're both, they tie for first though. If I have to, if you held a gun to my head and I had to pick one over the other, I'd say this over road warrior, but road warrior is super close. Um, the the original Mad Max is 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 good. It's it's uh, definitely a quite a different again quite a different film. But at the time, it, it seemed uh, so. It, it's it's still pretty high up there. So that comes in in a very close third. You know, and, and uh, those are great movies. So yeah, that's how I feel about the the series. <laughs> cool. The three films of the series. Yeah, yeah, no, I got yeah, you. Yeah. Well, okay, three, three and a half films. Three and a half films. Yeah. The, Is he too the, subtle? Uh, what? The, Are you the, being uh, too subtle? You didn't pick it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah the three and a half films. So, the, so yeah. I mean, I like the first half of uh, um of of Thunderdome, and and uh, there are some things to appreciate about it, but uh, the second half, yeah. 
anyway, I, I pass it off. There we go. <laughs> Great. Those are my thoughts. So was Renee... I supposed to say something about how I thought the future of it, what I would look forward to, or? Oh, you can if you want. I mean, Alan said <laughs> he he's not looking forward, so maybe we can balance. Oh no, was, the only thing I'd say is I. I oh no, I mean, I, I'm I'm interested in a, in a Furious film. I'd be much more interested if it was a sequel, a continuation of Furiosa, not not a prequel. Prequels, like Bill said, are problematic at best. Um, but I'll still watch it because. I'm, I'm interested in see what he's to do with it. It'll be interesting to see what Anna Taylor Joy, Joy does with the character. Um, I'm I'm kind of glad they're not doing a TV series with it because I just yeah. I just wouldn't want to yeah. see that. Mm. So there we go. Yeah, I, I'm not gonna lie. I, if if HBO Max announced that they were doing a big budget Mad Max series, I would be ecstatic. Honestly, as long as George Miller was involved. But yeah, I think that this does this ultimately this franchise does belong on the big screen as much as possible. Uh, Renee, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think that this was the first time that you had watched a couple of these films. So I'm interested now that we've gone through all of them to hear your final thoughts on Fury Road and on the franchise as a whole. Oh boy, um, Fury Road, well, I did what Bill told me to do and don't tell my parents. I took my chair and I sat really, really, really close to the TV. Um, to emulate the theater experience as much as I possibly could. Um, boy, that was it. It, it was just like you said, you know, I, I think I sat kind of curled up, you know, with my hands to my face through almost the entire movie. And it, you know, you're just like, am I breathing? What's happening? I'm just very caught up in this. It, it, it's, it's, a you know, like I said, I have a hard time putting my thoughts together on this because there really is just so much going on. And then there's, like I said before, all the symbolism. And, you know, this is just like we had talked about. Um, I believe it was uh, Beyond Thunderdome. Um, for this movie, it was the more that I uh, kind of, you know, I'm a, I'm a researcher. I, that's just, I just I like to learn stuff. So, you know, I kind of dig in on it. And the more I learn about it, the more, you know, I see other people talk about it and their impressions of it. It just brings me in even more. And, oh, it was just, it was really good. I really enjoyed it. I would definitely give this movie a five. And I really kind of, I think, echo Paul's sentiments, um, a bit of an up and down journey. Um, the first one, it, it was the first time that I remember watching it. So it really was kind of the first time I watched it, though there was definitely the scene where, you know, Max throws the guy the ax and he's like, oh, cut your hand or something like that. Like, you know, you can cut your arm off or you're donezo. I distinctly remember having seen that as a kid, which is in one of our future podcasts of who was watching me. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> that's also what I watched. Now we know why you down. <laughs> Now we know. Why, oh, yeah, oh, God, don't even get me started. Now yeah. we know why you identify with the feral kid, though. Yes, yes. And oh, see, and again, number you. Oh, it's uncomparable, right? Because, you know, my boy is he's in the second one. It's a whole different movie. Um, it's just so different. And so, you know, up and down. I think overall, I would give the entire series probably a four. Four VHS tapes. Great. I love it, and and we and are going to. I guess gonna I have... missed it. What did what did she give this movie? A five. 
Yeah. This was a five. I'm sorry, Alan. I'm sorry. Paul gave it a five, too, so get on him. Alan, Alan, that's the number every sane person is going to give this. Just a spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. And yeah, at some point, at some point, we're going to have to do a mini episode on uh, Watership Down and and Bad Childhoods. Because yeah, me, same. Um, Bill, I know that you are a longtime fan of this franchise. Have at it. Okay. Well, first, my rant. Okay, so the reason I put magicians in there with makeup supply salesmen and the music industry is because these crooks <laughs> prey on children. So, like, you know, you see this thing, the magic disappearing coin. Make a coin disappear and reappear in someone's ass. And I'm just a stupid kid. I think that's a good way to meet girls. Yeah. Whoa. So which one are you going to? I, I yeah, send, we got I some deep my, scars here. I send Ugh. my money away and I get, I know I'm in trouble when I get an envelope and it's not a heavy envelope either. And you open it up and a slip of paper falls out describing how you're supposed to do this nonsense. And I swear to God, not making this part up. The first line is make the coin disappear by your favorite method. I don't have a favorite <laughs> method of making coins disappear. That's why I paid you money to tell me how to make it work. That's half the trick. And you're just like leaving me on my own. All right, so uh, five out of five. Five out of five on this film, obviously. Um, I don't understand that segue, but okay. Yeah. Um, so and, it's and, and, magic. you know, it's great. It's yeah, it's magic. Oh God! And listen, hey, if there's any young men out there, let me tell you something. Uh, magic is—you could be the best magician in the world. You do not meet girl. The only girl you're going to meet is the one you con into being your magic assistant, which. Okay, that might actually work. Now that I'm saying this, I should have gone. I should have thought about that. But uh, no, it's not a way. To, girls are not impressed by it. Um, but it's still a hell of a lot better than becoming a ventriloquist. For the love of God, don't do that. Just, just don't. Make, <laughs> kill that industry. Strangle it in its crib. You'll, you'll be a serial killer at best. The only girls you're going to meet are the ones buried in your basement. We're losing so our audience clear, now, Bill. Magicians are above <laughs> ventriloquists, right? Oh, oh, listen, everyone is above ventriloquists. Oh, oh. I'm only don't talk too loud. The, you know, listen, the scare. No, it's just, it's terrifying, and they're never. Yeah, you know, there's never been a good ventriloquist movie because the problem is whenever they do this, the, the opening scene is always the ventriloquist act. And everyone's laughing, and it's not funny. It's not even remotely funny. The, the, there's nothing funny about their act, and yet everyone is laughing. You're like, "Am I insane? Am I crazy?" But there's a movie called Charlie McCarthy Detective, and it's Edgar Bergen, who is the greatest ventriloquist of all time. Because most ventriloquists like practice and practice so that they don't move their lips when they're doing this. He was a radio ventriloquist. I'll say it again: he was a radio ventriloquist. <laughs> If you I, could see, well. if you could see the expression on my face, I mean, I've been living with this horrible knowledge for like sixty years, and it still boggles my mind that this man was was one of the greatest entertainers of his time as a radio ventriloquist. Do you people know how radio works? So consequently, he never learned any of the tricks about not moving his lips. Well, then movies came along and they said, "Hey, let's get that Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. You know, we'll have to pay them both." But and and. You know, they get him on there, and his lips are moving more than mine are right now. <laughs> it was incredible. And yet, and yet, and yet, nobody cared. No one ever looked at Edgar Bergen. They always looked at Charlie McCarthy. They thought he was real. And this movie, Charlie McCarthy Detective, takes it to the ultimate extreme, where in the entire movie, 
Everyone believes that Charlie McCarthy is a real person. He's solving crimes. At one point, he gets shot. And as God is my witness, there's a scene where the doctors are operating on him and they're putting a gas mask on his <laughs> wooden face. this movie next. So I think we got stuck in a quagmire. Bill, Bill oh here's my, my question. Here's yes. my question as it pertains to Charlie McCarthy Detective. Yes. How do you think you would stack that film against the four films in the Mad Max franchise? Well, I, you know, I don't think that's entirely fair because I think that movie is not of this earth. I think Charlie McCarthy Detective came from the same universe that Roadhouse, the movie Roadhouse, which is another one yeah. we should do because things attention must be paid where in the movie Roadhouse, if you remember, uh, it's, it takes place in a universe where bouncers have the same social status as doctors. <laughs> also, Ben Gazzara gets the prettiest girl in town because as, as would happen in real life someone who looks like Ben Gazzara would be dating a doctor who would rather be dating a bouncer, you know, because she wants to How marry. How do we get to oh. Roadhouse again? Let, let, let's, well, let's get back on the road, road Bill. That road warrior. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Road warrior. Uh, the Mad Max. Okay, so this oh, is... the this Warriors. Is Let me tell you about the Warriors. <laughs> the Warriors. Come out and play. Um, oh, yeah. God. Great. Right. Uh, this, is, this is a five out of five. But if I had to rate them, I still, I still have to... I have, I'm a sentimental guy, as you know. I had to put Road Warrior first. It's it's one of my great loves. It's one of the movies that made me love cinema even more than I did before I went to see it, which was already pretty considerable. Um, I love that movie. Uh, I think I think Fury Road is in a lot of ways. I mean, it's technically way better movie. It's one of the most technically amazing movies. It's visionary. It's it's terrific. If I had to pick which one to watch right now, Fury Road. No, but I've seen, but I've, I've, of course, I've watched Road Warrior like at least once a year, every year since it was released. There's probably very few movies I've watched more than Road Warrior. So, you know, I'm kind of familiar with every frame of it at this point, whereas Fury Road, I've only watched about five times. Um, so, but, uh, you know, I'll still put Road Warrior first and Fury Road like a hair behind, a photo finish, let's say. Mad Max way behind those two but i still i still like it for what it is but it's such a different movie it 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 almost feels like not part of this you know it's it's certainly the one that got things going but then you know it's like doctor no compared to what a james bond movie is now it, it did get started but it's a whole different species and then distant Far, far away. <laughs> I can sort of see the glint of light from uh, Thunderdome. From Bartertown. Yeah. Bartertown. Yeah. You know, which just, I, I just don't see. So the let me purpose. just make this clear. I don't clear. see the purpose. Everybody of, here, everybody yeah. here thinks Except that you. the first movie is better than Thunderdome. Oh, I do. Not everybody. Yeah. I must be a magician or a ventriloquist. Then I haven't because... gone yet. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah. Jack hasn't. Zach hasn't given his wrong opinion on this, but uh, <laughs> oh, I mean, man. you know, in, in fairness, look, in fairness, Thunderdome has a lot going for it and everything. And if it was the only movie, if Thunderdome was the only Mad Max movie, I'd say, man, that was a great movie. They should have made more on, on that character and everything. Um, and 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 Mad Max, the original Mad Max, again, is such a different fish. It just feel it's almost you know crazy to put it in the franchise. It seems. But that's that's the ratings I would go, and they're all good. They're all, I mean, they're all at least good. Some of them are great, and some of them are spectacular. Mm. 
I just you could block the children things out of your mind from Thunderdome. It's a better movie because when I think of Thunderdome, yeah, that part was like so ridiculous. I don't think about it. But if I think I just, about, I just feel like Dome, Thunderdome was a retread of Road Warrior and didn't bring enough new to the game. And I'd probably feel the same way about Fury Road if they'd done that, but they didn't. They they just went completely off the rails. I mean, it's it's bigger and better, and there's just you know. And will I go see Furiosa? I'll be there opening day. I've got <laughs> reservations about the whole premise, but when a visionary filmmaker shares a vision, you go see it. Mm. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe I'll feel like you know I wish they'd done something different or so. But you know, God knows what we're going to see with that one. You know, uh, tap dancing saxophonist on a crane or something. <laughs> Who knows? Which is exactly what Renee and I are looking for in the next mm, movie. Exactly. So yeah. we'll be there. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm glad i'm glad zach i'm glad you picked this franchise because it's been a lot of fun and uh, yeah it's i agree any excuse to watch them and so this and it's been fun talking about it with you guys well i i bill i appreciate that rant because now i think that you actually have the longer rant than i will uh mine will oh, also good. not be about uh, uh although i will say i've never actually seen that but isn't magic with uh anthony hopkins supposed to be pretty good it's, it's pretty it's a fantastic. very good movie. It's a very good yeah. movie, but I'll t tell me I'm wrong. Watch the movie and tell me that the opening act with okay Anthony Hopkins <laughs> with that dummy that that dummy is not terrifying, scary, and people should be running the the audience watching his act should be running from the theater crying and screaming and and having long sleepless nights. But no, they're laughing. They're laughing at his unfunny, scary jokes. <laughs> yeah. right, right. I agree with you that well, it is true. I'll check it out and we'll cover it on a future episode. In the meantime, uh, I'm probably going to reiterate what I opened the first episode with, which is by saying that I essentially waited 15 years to watch this movie, more or less, and it still exceeded my wildest expectations. I think that this movie is the perfect example of a director who is at the top of his game, working with a crew that is at the top of their game. I think that this is essentially high art doused in gasoline and set on fire. And I mean that in the best possible way, because this is an art film. This is an action film. This is a this is an artist who has spent 30 years perfecting his craft. And essentially, this is the culmination of it, which I mean, if he decided to retire after this movie, I would actually be fine. But yeah, I'm I'm definitely look, looking forward to the next one. I think that this is, I mean, obviously, of course, this is a, even though this movie was never actually released on VHS, it's still going to get five of them because this is the perfect movie. Even though there, there are things, I think I've, you know, there are things that I don't love about this movie. There are nitpicks that I have. There are things that I wish they had done differently. But ultimately, it's the sort of movie that the sum of its parts are greater than any shortcomings. I will also say I want to retcon. I think I gave Road Warrior a four and a half after reviewing this I because I, I felt like I, I needed to go higher for Fury Road. I actually think I like Fury Road. I think it's, I think, Bill, like you said, they're, they're neck and neck. I, I think I'm actually going to retcon and say Road Warrior is a five. I think that the both of these films are two of the best action films of their respective generations. I think that Mad Max, the original, and Thunderdome are behind. I think they are also tied because I think they, you know, they each have their uh, strengths and weaknesses. I think they're still both great movies. I think they're both like still fours. 
But again, you know, even though it's not fives across the board, I think the franchise is just a solid five because I actually believe that there is probably no other franchise that is consistently this good, in my opinion. Like, even if you hate Thunderdome, even if you don't like the original, I mean, it's just like, they're still not bad movies. And I think that they are still all watchable uh, any day of the week. So yeah, I'm going to say five out of five. That means that we are at an average of 4.6 for this panel, meaning this is the highest rated film we have talked about so far. Still, you take uh, out the French judge. It's a solid. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say still four four tenths uh, lower than it should be, but you know that's fine. So yeah, that's it. Anyone have any any final thoughts, or do we want to wrap up? I'm just glad I can bring that average down a little bit, <laughs> just like in school. Man. Uh, bring it down. <laughs> oh man. Well, you know, we've spent a, a lot of time in the wasteland. We've now been talking about this franchise for, I think, what? Well, actually, given the fact that it took us so long to start releasing episodes for, this has been a couple of months. Um, so I think, uh, and yeah, I'll, I'll edit this part out if we end up not doing this. But I think that for our next episode, we are going to visit a slightly sexier, slightly more stylish future because i think we're going to talk about another movie that i i kind of love from my childhood and i think it's kind of held up i think if if everyone is on board we're probably going to discuss the fifth element Ooh, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah i'm actually yeah. interested this is actually one that i've seen but okay god when yeah but i mean that doesn't mean anything i remember a girl with red hair and bruce willis I mean, I well, saw this way back when it came she out. She had orange so. hair, so. She had, okay, she had see, I'm, I'm already, it's already a new movie. <laughs> oh. huh. No. Uh, Gra- greatest so he- cosplay inspiration ever. Oh, God, yes, yes. <laughs> I think in two weeks, I think you can come back and we are going to have a full-length episode kind of dissecting that film and talking through it. It is, God, I guess it's, what, been 20, almost 25 years since that movie came out. It's one of wow. the first films I can really remember loving, seeing and loving in theaters. So it's going to be fun to revisit it. It's been, honestly, I think it's probably been a good 15 years since I've watched it. So we'll see if it holds up. In the meantime, we're also doing weekly mini episodes where if you run out of things to watch, we give you recommendations that kind of cross the board of genres and streaming services. So, you know, check those out. If you're looking for something to watch, um, Paul tells a lot of very personal life stories and those things. So if you are interested in the continuing saga of Paul Cardillo, definitely tune in. And uh, anyone else have anything they want to say? Bill, do you want to plug any of the other podcasts that you take part in? Yes, Decades of Horror, um, the 1970s and Decades of Horror, the 1980s of Gruesome Magazine. And I have been invited to uh, participate in two decades of horror, the classic years, probably because they th- thought I'd sulk like a child if I wasn't invited <laughs> to do Planet, Planet of the Vampires by Mario Bava. Oh, oh, yeah. And and this one, this one, Jeff Moore, you know, was so sweet to call me. I said, what's your favorite movie again? I'm like, oh, um, Eyes Without a Face, the uh, 1959 George Franju movie about, and he goes, yeah, we're going to do that when you're welcome to come. So it's like, yeah. Yeah, so that's that is a great movie. Um, oh yeah, Leu Stan Visage. Yeah, I don't know. It's French, but uh, I, that is. I saw it in the theaters. The movie. really I saw it in the theater just like last year, and the guy two rows down from me actually fainted 
during the film. Wow. Really? Yeah, he actually passed oh. out. Yeah. You, you know exactly that, what scene it oh, was. Oh, I know yeah. exactly the moment it happened. That's yes. Like, did you hear about yes. He actually passed out. So. Right. 19. So, I mean, yeah. So what a kick in the nads that must have been in 1959. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. It's If you haven't seen it, I don't want to spoil anything. It's been ripped off probably 11,000 times. But it's still a, a, just an amazing horror movie. You probably and, and what was it called again? Not, Eyes. Uh, of the it has a few names. Eyes without a face is like the literal translation of Leu sans visage. And again, if I'm mispronouncing that, I'm not French. Okay. Um, and it also I am because I'm a French we're judge. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's right. And because <laughs> because Americans are Americans, they also renamed it the Horror Chamber of Doctor Faustus. And put it on a double bill with the Manster. Now, don't get me wrong. Um, the Manster oh is a really? great movie. The Manster is one of my favorite movies, but it has absolutely nothing in common with with uh, Eyes Without a Face. Is is that's a, that's. Yeah, a I heard they were also going to put it on um on a DVD with uh, the Man with Two Hands. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, but they but they decided to go with the Beast with Ten Fingers, and uh, yeah. So. Uh. <laughs> I think I think they were actually oh, we going with the, we got it we got to mention it. Yeah, they were going with the the uh the American ripoff uh the uh face with two eyes. So um well, I actually <laughs> yeah. haven't seen Eyes Without a Face and oh, I know for a fact that it, it is now yeah, it, I know for a fact that it is now streaming on HBO Max. So oh, I think it? I'm going to check that out. Yeah, and then I will be tuning into uh Decades of Horror to see what Bill has to say about it. So and you should too. Uh, I'm talking to the listeners. Of, I love this movie. This movie is so great. I love this movie. Everyone should see this yeah. movie. I love this movie. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's been me for the more last five hours. More entertaining about when Fury it's something Road. terrible. It's it's I'm way more entertaining when it's Charlie McCarthy detective, where you know it's like, <laughs> oh my god. Well, I think we're also gonna kick up uh, a side series on bad movies that we don't like. And so maybe we can do Charlie McCarthy Detective. <laughs> and you can, even though you spent like half this episode talking about it, you can do more. Uh, I didn't say I didn't like it. I just said it's <laughs> awful. <laughs> oh, bad movies, just that's bad a, movies in general. Quote. They could be ones we like too. So, well, uh, until next time, uh, I think that's it from us. Stay safe. En- enjoy uh, the next movie that we talk about, Fifth Element. Go watch it right now, uh, and then tune in in two weeks. Yeah, I think that's it. Good night. Bye. Good night, everybody. Well, we did it again. What was that? Three hours. Two and a half hours. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> hey, to be fair, to be fair, we would have come in on time if it hadn't been for all the Charlie McCarthy detective talk. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not complaining. Fair enough. And this concludes, uh, I think, about eleven hours of discussion about this franchise. Uh, hopefully, we aren't done yet because look for our Furiosa coverage. Hopefully, coming in 2023. In the meantime, we'd love to hear what you think about Mad Max Fury Road and the franchise as a whole. Visit us at videostorejunkies.com to contact us by email, and you know you can check out our other content while you're there, or follow us on Twitter at VideoJunkiesPod. We may be done talking about the Mad Max franchise, but we are not done talking about our favorite films. Grab your multi-pass and join us again in two weeks for our next full episode where we'll be talking about the stylish 1997 sci-fi adventure film, The Fifth Element. Until then, don't forget to rewind those Betamax tapes and re-sleeve those laser discs. Good night.